This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Cole and Terry. Jeff is on vacation, chauffeuring his family to the great California. And, uh, you know, here we sit, more sexual allegations, uh, one by one, you know, big names coming out. And uh, now Charlie Rose uh, has been suspended. In fact, uh, they made an announcement today they don't believe he'll be back, is what they were saying on the set. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. There, I mean, it's it's not just he made a comment or did things. The the if you want the details are no, yeah, I don't want them. They're bad, and and yeah, there's no way he's coming back. It, I mean, you, you I guess there's a way if you well, just want to ignore it all, but they're not going to do that. So again, this it, especially it, on the CBS Morning Show, he works with two women. Yeah, and they both sat there today like this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, we're we, not giving him a pass. No, this is this is bad. And so he probably won't be back. And on honestly, the, again, hopefully we're starting a, a real discussion about this instead of. But it seems like what we're getting are more headlines than a discussion. It yeah. seems like there's a new headline every day. Everyone's in disbelief. But we somehow have to say, how do we stop this? How do we? How do we? How do we become grownups and treat people with respect? Glenn Thrush, he's a writer for yeah. the New York Times, covers the White House. He's now been suspended Trouble. over these types of situations. He has a book coming out yeah. that's in kind of suspended animation at the moment as they yeah, try to figure out what they're supposed to and do. The New York Times brought uh, Glenn Thrush on because of some of his work at Vox, right? Isn't that oh, no, how he at, got at in? At Politico. Oh, at Politico. Yeah, and yeah. Vox, Vox is the one that reported on it because one of the reporters at Vox is oh. one of the victims of oh, the, wow. the Glenn Thrush <laughs> Think of how Harassed, many though so. these are these are interns these are media people these are Wash- these are the staffers of Washington Washington elites right. I mean these are a lot of people that their dream their goal was to get to DC or get to New York and then all of a sudden they get there and they're young and they're taken advantage of right because they're in a position where they'll do they'll they'll do things to yeah. get to get ahead and this you know they offer is oh. They take advantage of that that uh, excitement to be there and do that job. So. Well, and then you'd think that um, that then the White House comments on stuff like they're commenting on Franken, and not on but then Roy Moore. Well, not on Roy Moore, and now it's like, well, yeah, we kind of need Roy Moore to get elected to pass our legislation, yeah. and yet everyone's like, so would you rather have the legislation or would you rather have Roy Moore and? They don't want to necessarily answer that. Yeah. And I guess on top of it all, uh, what's the difference between what President uh, Trump said, a question was asked, and an Al Franken? And uh, what's her name? Huckabee said, well, Al Franken admitted he did it. <laughs> the president hasn't admitted he's done anything wrong. Right. I mean, he said it. It's on It's on tape. But Everybody saw it, but he had admitted he didn't. He didn't admit wrong. he said anything wrong. And anybody that knows him knows that that's not what he's really like. Who the president? Yeah, but he said it. Right. So it's it's a really complicated situation. But everyone wants to talk about past presidents, mm-hmm. but nobody wants to talk about current presidents. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. Why would you want to do that? 
It is, isn't this the craziest world we live in? The po- and it's politics. This is, this is how you do it. Right. And one of the things, uh, was it uh, 58, what's it called? Um, Silver's Group? Is Three, uh, 358? 358. 538? 538? Yeah, 538. It's a bunch of numbers. 538, because it's yeah. the number of congressmen, oh. or the number of people in the House. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 648, then. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 538, but th- they were saying, uh, in, for example, in Alabama, it's a lot less about values mm-hmm. and a lot more about policy. Yes. So not even Alabama. The character voters, supposedly, of our country, the ones that vote for, like, I guess they're saying the religious right, are really more about policy than virtue. Mm-hmm even in their voting approach. It's not necessarily the individual and what they stand for. It's how they will vote. Wow. So you look at the governor of Alabama. Yeah, the governor. She is in a state where there's what they said it's about. The number I saw this morning is about 50% evangelical. Oh, yeah. And so she's that's her voting base. And her response was, "I uh, I have no reason to dis uh, what to disbelieve what the women said, but I'm still going to vote for Roy Moore because he's going to vote the way I need him to. Yeah. I want him to vote on the Supreme Court this way, on you know judicial appointments this way. He's going to vote on laws a way, even though his cho- choices uh. and, and you know these allegations are there. I'm still going to. He's going to vote the right way. Well, so, so what happens to a country that no longer votes for character?" But votes for policy. Aren't we there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's the long-term impact of that? I'm not sure. It, it can't be good. No, because you start. Everyone just starts justifying behavior. Yeah, and it can't be good for, for it, it can't be good for character, right? So no. eventually, well, yeah, but we got this one initiative passed. Oh, sure, other things are going on that are falling around this. But yeah. in fact, many are even questioning now the character of the president when it comes to Haiti. Mm-hmm. 2010, a major earthquake destroys Haiti, basically. So we allow Haitians to come, about 60,000 to come into the country. They can work here. They can, they can live here. They, I guess they get the documentation to do that. President Trump is now going to rescind that offer, basically. As of 2019, they all got to go. Well, it was temporary. Yeah. Yeah. So he's – but with the assumption it would become permanent probably, right? I don't know. Well, like – how are you going to send 60,000 people back to a place a big boat. that doesn't exist anymore, right? Yeah. So now everyone's thinking, what? Yeah. How do you send six? I mean, how do you send 60,000 people back? They just had a hurricane. You ain't getting back there. This isn't there's a, no jobs. There's no. This isn't a time for human compassion and emotion, Matt. This yeah. is a time for the rule of law. It's just, ah. Uh, <laughs> we got to remember that, you know, turnabout is fair play. This will all come back. Karma, goodness, yeah. you reap what you sow, it's all going to come back. It's all going to come back. You send 60,000 people back to Haiti, there's nothing in Haiti. What, do they just get off the ship and just stand there at the port? Nowhere to go. Bootstraps, man. Mm. Bootstraps. Wow, what's happening? Okay, let's get to the headlines. Maybe there's happier news somewhere in the headlines. Eh, Terry, what's going on? President Trump has reinstated North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism in an effort to crack down on Kim Jong-un's nuclear program, the New York Times reports. Former President George W. Bush removed North Korea from the list in 2008 while attempting to negotiate a... uh, nuclear deal. The nation was the fir- was first listed in 1988. North Korea joins a list of state sponsors of terrorism that includes Sudan, 
Syria and Iran. Uh, they said the justification was because there was a uh, the there was the assassination of uh, Kim Jong Un's stepbrother at an airport, and they said because they they oh. they, they stepped out oh, yeah. for this assassination, even though North <laughs> Korea does not confirm that that was the the stepbrother. No, no. But they're saying because they did that a couple years ago that now they're, they're state sponsor of terrorism. Well, even though they haven't done anything outside the country other than that that you can point to. Yeah, that's the justification. for Well, it. but I mean, terror, it, terror is just simply shooting missiles that could have nuclear warheads. Right, there's that into the China Sea. But they didn't mention that in okay. the actual. Oh, they didn't. Yeah, they just mentioned. Okay, uh, you know the yeah. documentation. It's a lot on this. of paperwork. It, it's 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 to allow for further sanctions to be placed okay. under North Korea. Sure. The Justice Department preparing an antitrust lawsuit against AT and T over the company's proposed merger with Time Warner. Bloomberg reports Monday, the Trump administration had previously shown potential intent to block the eighty-five point four billion dollar merger. Over Time Warner's ownership of CNN, a news outlet, mm. Trump routinely accused of unfair coverage of his presidency. The DOJ's antitrust division reportedly threatened the, uh, the merger, asking AT&T to sell CNN's parent company or face federal action. David Rothkopf, a journalism professor at Columbia University, yeah. on Twitter he goes, So the FCC gets rid of cross-ownership rules permitting concentration of media power. So the FCC has walked back some rules that dictate you know, what groups can own, how many radio stations, newspapers, right. TVs in certain markets. The, the idea of that was they didn't want to have any concentration of, of power in one yeah. media market. Well, they're getting rid of that so companies can buy more TV sure. and more, and all in the same market. You can own like every TV station. You can you own the to. market. So they do that. And then he says net neutrality rules that will give the edge to the big guys, right? So those rules yeah. are actually up for vote today, I believe. They're, they're talking about oh, wow. maybe beginning the process of rolling back net neutrality. Huh. So your your internet provider could like YouTube over Netflix. And so if you want to watch YouTube, they go, well, maybe we like Netflix more, so we're just going to throttle YouTube so it's slower making you watch Netflix. And, and move then, you to the other system. Right, and so they can kind of dictate what services work better uh. instead of just letting everything work better. So that's kind of the idea there. You know what? Don't that, See, that is the one thing you can't mess with. <laughs> right. You can mess with our country. You can mess with our taxes. Don't mess with our... Don't mess with Netflix. Don't mess with Netflix. So those two things are going on. He goes, and now they're arguing it opposes the AT&T Time Warner... Because it will result in concentration of power, huh? Right. So they already were, they already got rid yeah. of the rules that that limit concentration of power. But the problem with the AT and T Time Warner is, well, there's concentration of power. Or is it really just CNN? That's the question. That's in fact, they asked the CEO of AT and T that is this really, or was it Time Warner? Is this really just it's about AT&T. CNN? And he's like, Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to say. Yeah. So they're going to go to court. We'll see how that goes. Eight women, as we talked about, uh, accuse, the Washington Post reports accused longtime TV host Charlie Rose of sexually harassing them. Those women ranged from ages 21 to 37 at the time of the alleged incidents. Um, they had said they had not previously come forward out of fear of being shut out. That's a big question in yeah. all of these situations is why haven't, why have they waited so long? Well, are you why, kidding why, why are they waiting 30 years Who would to come they tell forward? Well, 30 years ago. Yes, by the way, what they do do is they, they tell family. They do. Like Al Franken's second accuser told her family immediately. So that's – but who do you tell? You, well, the uh, Like these eight women came forward and they said strength in numbers. Yeah. That was the reason. There's other people were not alone. Yesterday, one of the accusers of Roy Moore was on the Today Show and she said the reason she came forward was because she started seeing these other women come forward. 
strengths and numbers, numbers, right? So you're not alone trying to point at someone in a position of power and say, yeah. this happened to me. Well, and it was 30 years ago, some of these, right? So yeah. 30 years ago is a different day than today. 20 years ago was a different day. So all of a sudden, it's 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 wholly, it's always been inappropriate. But now everyone's talking about it, bringing up how inappropriate it is, and it's a different day and age. How we handled President Clinton is totally different than how we would handle it today. So Charlie Rose has been suspended from the CBS morning show. Also, PBS, which distributes his talk show, his interview show, announced it will be suspending the program pending the investigation there. New York Times correspondent Glenn Thrush made unwanted advances on several young journalists. He's also been suspended as the New York Times investigates his situation there. The Trump administration cannot restrict grants to so-called sanctuary cities, a federal judge in California's Northern District ruled Monday. Previously, the Trump administration issued an executive order blocking federal grants to cities that did not cooperate with immigration officials. The California court declared the order unconstitutional on its face and issued a permanent injunction against it. Ooh. So... No way. President Trump is now back in the courts. His uh, Justice Department is back in the courts for some of these decisions. So we'll see. Mm. Part of that is you withholding the money also withholds money from like anti-terror operations by local police departments. And that's where it turns into some some issues when it comes to the law on what you can and can't withhold because of other. You know what I mean? You can't connect funding for terrorism versus other other issues because you don't like what they're doing. So and finally, we had this last uh, a couple weeks ago. Rand Paul's neighbor runs over, tackles him as he's on his riding lawnmower. Why did he do it? Why? Why? What was the motivation for attacking a senator on his riding lawnmower? What did Rand do to you? What did he do? So it's been 18 days since that happened. Oh, wow. Rand Paul's back to work. Boy, his ribs still killed. He had five broken ribs. So what, what, you you tape those up Mm. and just kind of breathe lightly and go to work? Um, So GQ magazine. Yeah. The, the bastion of truth. Oh, yeah. That I was is reading GQ. it this morning. They uh, went down to Kentucky and wandered around the neighborhood talking to neighbors to find out the truth oh. about what happened. Because oh. you're not going to get this no, out yeah, of the, the news. neighbors know the dirt. They know. So right. I don't know how you get people to talk. You just ask them questions. Do you? Do you yeah. think they're pretty willing to, oh, to go off yeah. on this? Neighbors I think it that. starts off by saying, hi, I'm from GQ. Oh, really? That just opens all That's the That's it? Do you like my sweater? I think I would go, uh, go away. Don't cause problems in my neighborhood. So it's a gated community in Kentucky. Right, everyone's yeah. got these beautiful yards. Every, everyone's out there taking care of things. The uh, the neighbor, his name was Rene Borcher. Mm. Borcher. Uh, so, Rand Paul reportedly sustained five broken ribs. What prompted Borcher's attack is unclear. If you ask the neighbors, they'll tell you it was a landscaping dispute. Although Paul himself says his libertarian politics provoked his socialist neighbor. Wow. Yeah. So it says the real story, though, might be much shorter than that. Like most everyone else in River Green Development, Bowling Green resident uh, Bill Goodwin told the reporter that they the most residents pay in the ballpark of 150 a month for professional landscaping. Okay. 150 bucks a month for landscaping. Yeah. yeah. While Paul ins- Rand Paul insists on maintaining his yard himself. Yeah. Goodwin, the neighbor, said that uh, that's part of what nagged uh, the bo- the attacker, Borcher, was that the difference in gra- grass length between his lawn and that of his libertarian neighbor. He had his yard sitting at a beautiful two and a half inches, three inches thick, while Rand cuts it to the nub, as the neighbor <laughs> says. 
His is a putting green. Goodwin also told GQ that Borchere was infuriated by Paul's tendency to mow outward at the edge of his property, spraying his clippings into Borchere's yard. So it's uh. grass length and the clippings spraying into his yard. Because grass clippings, yeah. oh, they're horrible. They're everywhere. So then you're charged with a, a, a felony. Because you attacked a senator. And even more than maybe – more felon, more than one felony because, yeah, it's a senator and it's – it was such – it was so aggressive. So that... over grass clippings, you get an FBI investigation. Yeah. Good job. Not good. <laughs> That's not so smart. What do you – what do you tell the – hey, he's cross-cutting. He's cross-cutting the yard. <laughs> And he cuts his grass to the nubs. To the nub, it says. So, yeah, he's got a putting green where the other guy has a nice, healthy, green, lush, lush lawn. And you got this putting green next door. That would tick me off. Wow. I don't think it would matter. And and he's just mowing. He didn't have any clue. And then out of nowhere, he gets T-boned. Wow. Hmm. What's wrong with America? You can't even. It's his socialist neighbor, as Rand Paul said. <laughs> hey, we haven't mentioned this, but uh, we probably need to. Uh, oh. uh, country music legend Mel Tillis died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember him? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my childhood. He was 85 years old. Uh, Tillis died in Monroe Regional Medical Center after battling intestinal issues. Uh, Till, uh, Tillis was a prolific songwriter who penned more than 1,000 songs, recorded more than 60 albums. His career spanned 60 decades. That's pretty amazing. Some of his songs, uh, Good Women Blues, Heart Healer, Coca-Cola Cowboy. In 2007, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. By the way, didn't he have like a like a speech impediment too? Like he had a bit uh, of a stutter. Yeah. yeah. What a guy. So all of this, I mean, you, you have a stutter your entire life growing up, and then you come out and you are inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame and you produce more than 1,000 songs. Are you kidding me? That's pretty cool. And just a good guy. Seemed like an all-around good guy. Liked to go fishing. Liked to hang out with his friends. Anyway, a little, uh, a little uh, on our way out, uh, as we get ready to, to bring on our next guest, we'll uh, do a little tribute to Mel Tillis. Uh, next up is going to be uh, Cynthia Meyer. She's going to be talking about TV's shifting landscape, how advertisers are scrambling to adapt uh, to the new advertising model. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. You say you're tired and alone But it sounds like someone else is lying Welcome back, friends. You know, today you can't get away from commercials. Whether you're trying to watch a YouTube video or just surfing Facebook, they're everywhere. But today's advertisements are not the same uh, type of advertisements as your parents may have seen. You know, it is branded content. Here to speak with us today about branded content is Dr. Cynthia Myers, a professor of communications at the College of Mount St. Vincent in New York City. Cynthia, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, thanks for having me. You know, it's it is amazing. Um I remember sitting back in the days of Mutual of Omaha, um uh what was it? Like their their old uh safari shows where you'd go watch people driving on a Jeep around the Serengeti or whatever. And totally sponsored by Mutual of Omaha. I had this warm affinity for Mutual of Omaha. And in a weird way, we've we've kind of we moved away from that to then regular just, you know, 30-second commercials. But it sound, it feels like 
we are kind of moving back to branding like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, that idea of integrating the brand uh, with the program actually started in the 1920s. Um, early radio advertisers put on like music shows, right? Like, with perky music, if they were selling pop, um, you know, like soda pop, um, and then that became the established. Um, way of financing radio and television content up through the 1950s, where a brand would sponsor the program. So it would be Kraft Music Hall or Kraft Television Theater. And the whole idea was that they were bringing you entertainment that you would like, and therefore you you would have goodwill towards them, or you would feel positively towards the brand. Um, And so they were just sort of hoping that your enjoyment would rub off into your actual purchasing behavior. Um, and so that doesn't change until the 1960s. And then in the 60s, what I guess they started figuring out, hey, we might be able to make more money by just having a commercial, you know, every 30 seconds. Yes. And in fact, part of what happens in the 1960s is no longer is it financially viable for one advertiser to pay for and sponsor an entire television show because they were much more expensive than than the radio shows were. But also the advertisers realized that they could reach a lot more people if they advertised on multiple shows mm. instead of just sponsoring one show. And then they also realized that they ran um, a lower risk of being negatively associated with something that audiences didn't like. So, um, you know, one of the problems that happened in the 1950s was um, some anti-communist activists threatened to boycott um, companies like Kraft. Um, if they had actors on their program that had the wrong kind of political affiliations or beliefs. Oh, wow, really? And so blacklisting in part came out of this concern that they didn't want to be associated uh, with certain political um, beliefs, and therefore they had to not hire certain people to be in the show. And that's because the advertiser was entirely responsible for the content. Hmm. Um, And this was a problem. This was a problem for the advertisers. It was a problem for the audiences. Uh, it's a problem for everybody. And so when we separate the ads from the content, then the advertisers don't have as much um, <clears throat> as much responsibility for the content. And then they're just choosing what content to advertise on, and they're not directly controlling it. And so in the 1960s, that was really seen as a reform, right? Uh, yeah. You, you know, that the networks then would be responsible responsible for bringing programs to audiences and the networks would be responsible for finding and choosing the right programs. And then the advertisers, all they had to do was identify which audience they wanted to target through which program. Um, And then that was the system that was really in place and is still in place um, today in broadcast networking. It's interesting. Um, And then recently we heard, you know, many, uh, some of the the sponsors, not sponsored, but some of the people paying for advertising, advertisers on like the Sean Hannity show were starting to pull mm-hmm. their their sponsorship or, or advertising from Hannity show. Uh, many people have cried for boycotts uh, of advertisers. It, it, it really it's it's interesting. It, it's a different game than it was in the 60s because the advertisers aren't creating or the companies aren't creating the content. But still, it's it's almost like death by, you know, association. Yeah, and and so, you know, one of the interesting things to me is that in print media, um, the text of the of the editorial content has always been very distinct from the ads, right? And right. when you read a magazine, you know what is editorial and what is ad. Um, and there are all sorts of 
you know, all sorts of ways that you can tell. Um, and so, and, and that material comes from different sources, right? For a magazine, the editorial is produced by the staff of the magazine, and the ads are produced by the staff of ad agencies. Um, and so that sort of separation actually sort of helps build the credibility of both forms of content, um, right? So the, the magazine had this editorial integrity um, in a right. sense. Um, however, um, having said that, um, the magazine was still designed to um, attract a certain audience for their advertisers. So um, Glamour magazine is going to um, write articles that are going to um, attract audiences that, say, cosmetics companies are going to want to advertise to, but they're not going to write articles that might, you know, undermine the cosmetics industry, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's always been um, a relationship between the content and the ad, um, and that's true in television as well. And that relationship is always there. It's just that it wasn't um, as direct or obvious um, as when the advertiser owns the content. Yeah, and well, and now too, you'll do. Uh, like in radio, we'll do a read for an ad where I'm actually voicing live my my appreciation of a product. And by me voicing live my appreciation of the product, I guess I've brought the product really close to a personality. And if people don't like the personality, then it's easier to boycott the product. Yes. And actually, in early radio, um, the announcer giving the commercial – um, was just seen as really, really important because they were bringing the ad through that personality that, that audiences liked, right. audiences like to listen to. In fact, um, I wrote a book called A Word From Our Sponsor, and I have this whole section on announcers being the typefaces of radio. That is, hmm. the way the announcer delivers um, or the host delivers the ad is part of what makes it effective because the audience is tuning in because they want to listen to that host or that announcer, and that personalizes the message in a way that, um, you know, a print ad is just not as personal. Right. And so radio and podcasting, um, <clears throat> when they use the host of the program to also deliver the message, it's it's the, the advertiser's sort of way of appealing to that audience by connecting the product, you know, to the person they like to listen to. Is Are things, I mean, it seems like they're changing. You know, radio doesn't seem to be... The powerhouse that it used to be now online is is really advanced, but they they seem to be using kind of some of the good old fashioned techniques. What changes do you see are going on for advertisers, and where is their money moving? If it if it moved from radio to TV back in the fifties, sixties, seventies, where's it moving? Is it moving from TV to online now? Yes, I think it is absolutely. But um, there's several things that are going on. Um, The first thing is that a lot of advertisers are concerned that um, interrupting ads of any kind are ineffective, right? So um, when you're watching a TV show and you're interrupted by a commercial, um, in the past, you really had no choice. You had to sit and wait through the commercial in order to get to the program. And that kind of forced exposure um, was accepted in the industry because that was the way they reached you. Um, but today, audiences are more mobile and they have more options and they can avoid those interrupting ads. And so advertisers today are moving towards branded content, which is essentially content. So if you define content as, as material that audiences want to consume and ads as material that audiences don't want to consume, but the brand wants you to consume, branded content 
is content that the advertiser is hoping the audience wants to consume because it looks like content, but also mm. still has the advertiser's message. And so you have more sponsorship is coming back, um, and you have more product placement that is, you know, the appearance of brands in in the sets of TV shows and movies. You have more brand integrations, which is when the brand becomes part of the story. So um, in the middle of a Hawaii Five-0 episode, they were eating Subway sandwiches and talking <laughs> about it. Um, wow. So they're all, they're all those strategies. And then a lot of advertisers today are actually producing their own content. So they're either um, producing it themselves in-house or they're hiring different companies. So, for example, Red Bull, which is um, an energy drink, um, they don't put commercials on TV anymore. Um, Their target market, young men, young people who are interested in exciting things, they now have a YouTube channel where you can watch, you know, mountain bikers, you know, bike down the sides of cliffs. Right. And that's the content that those young people want to watch. Um, and that's the content that interests those young people. And then, you know, the Red Bull logos and the Red Bull shirts. And every once in a while, somebody's drinking a Red Bull. But it's not a commercial in the sense that you're being interrupted with a message about how great Red Bull is. Um, but it's branded content in that you're consuming content that is designed to get your attention and also designed to get you to feel positively about the brand. Right. I see a lot of co-branding, too, where you might bring on... Uh, where you might start mixing brands. So there might be a really big YouTuber that then goes and does a a television commercial for a big brand like Coca-Cola, and I guess we're trying to mix brands. Yeah, well, I would say um, the influencers are also a really expanding area of advertising right now. Um, You know, advertisers have always used celebrity endorsements from the beginning of advertising. There's always been some famous person who is willing to be paid to endorse a cigarette or a food product. Um, but today, audiences are more cynical about celebrities being paid. Um, and so now what we have is the rise of the social media influencer. And that's a person who's become like a micro-celebrity uh, for their social media posts. So, for example, on Instagram or YouTube, they have thousands of followers or even millions of followers and they're all now making brand deals. And what brands are doing is paying these influencers to integrate the brands or just out and out promote their brands in their social media content. And sometimes the promotions are just very open. Um, oh, here I am eating this um, special snack box and it tastes really good and you should eat it too. <laughs> or um, I'm using this makeup, you know, it really does great coverage on my skin. You see how great it is and you should use it too. Um, so sometimes the influencers get paid, um, you know, by the post. Sometimes they get paid in kind, like with products. Sometimes they get paid with uh, commissions. So they might say, um, you know, use my promo code when you order this product from their website. And then that influencer then gets a commission Mm. off of that sale. And so um, what's happening is that these forms of endorsements, um, which are also often product demonstrations, are seen by young people especially as more authentic than a big celebrity um, endorsing a product. And then because it's inside the person's content, it feels more authentic because it's just them talking to you and they're sort of like a friend of yours. Right. you know, social scientists call this a parasocial relationship where you feel close to the person, but they don't really know you. Um, and so 
um, when I've talked to my students about this, I have them analyze social media influencers of their choice, and they almost always tell me that, well, other social media influencers might be lying about the product, might not be that great a product. Their social media influencer is totally sincere. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very, very powerful form of marketing, um, and it's one way that advertisers are avoiding the problem of interrupting commercials that annoy people is by paying these influencers instead because the people are choosing to watch that content and choosing to interact with it, and they're believing it. It's uh, it's also interesting, too. Um, again, just for the listeners, we're, we're speaking with Cynthia Myers. She is a professor of communications at College of Mount St. Vincent in New York City. We're talking about TV shifting landscape and uh, kind of the move of a lot of advertisers to go to branding and branding with uh, with um, you know popular uh, personalities and and like YouTubers and and kind of going from television and, and mixing television to um, uh, online media, but I've I've seen even backlash if uh, if somebody uses their their channel or their uh, their image to be too much of a you know a, a huckster and too much of a salesperson of other products. They get backlash from their own viewers, like, "Ah, oh, you're selling yourself out. Why are you, why are you doing this to make money?" I mean, it really is. It's kind of a, it's it's just like more. It seems like people are more involved in impacting the advertising than they've ever been. Yes, and I think this is really an issue. I think that um, the issue of credibility for these new forms of advertising is really up for grabs. Um, and some of the influencers, I notice, actually make a point of criticizing certain products mm-hmm. um, in their content in order to prove that they're independent or that they're not afraid to criticize certain brands and that they're not entirely just, you know, bought off. Yeah. Um, and that's one way that they, they do try to maintain their credibility. Um, but I really do think it's it's an issue. And and the brands also are running risks. Um if if somebody who is being an influencer for them does something that uh, might not reflect well on the brand, oh yeah, um, that's so. Brand safety is the phrase that they use. So, for example, PewDiePie, who's a very famous YouTube gamer, yeah, like one um, of the blogger. one of the isn't he like the number one YouTuber? He he might be. Yeah, He's got over fifty million subscribers to his Jeez. YouTube channel. Um, and he has a very irreverent sense of humor, and he did some things that many people considered to be anti-Semitic. Mm. Um, and so a lot of brands pulled out of their deals with him because um, they were worried that that would reflect on the brand. And so we're returning to this whole problem of when brands are closely identified with personalities or with content that you know it can negatively affect the brand, but it can also negatively affect the content producer if they also start to lose credibility with their audiences for being too, too, you know, too closely identified with certain kinds of yeah. brands. So that so both ends, both sides of this, you know, relationship are running certain kinds of risks. And what's interesting to me is that one reason ads were separated from content um, in print pretty early on, but in broadcasting in the '60s. One reason they were separated was actually to provide more integrity or sense of integrity. So when you're watching the program, the program wasn't being actively affected by the advertiser, not directly, right? Mm-hmm. So that the program had integrity. Um, and then when you're watching the ad, 
the ad had to be as interesting as possible because otherwise they knew that you would check out yeah. because it wasn't the program. Um, and so when we move back to the integration, we're actually also returning to some of these really, you know, sort of difficult problems for, for everybody, including the audience, because now the audience hasn't really an easy way to identify what is paid for and what is not. Mm-hmm. The audience no longer knows if the influencer is just mentioning the brand because the influencer actually likes the brand or if the influencer is mentioning the brand only because the influencer is paid by the brand. And there's really no way for the audience to assess that. And the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has been putting out guidelines um, asking the social media influencers to label paid promotions as such, you know, like hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored. And of course, a lot of brands and a lot of influencers don't want to do that Mm -hmm. because it undermines the authenticity and credibility of the message if the audience can see it clearly identified as an ad. Um, But then that's sort of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Where do you see this going, Cynthia, as we wrap this up? What what do you how do you sense, uh, you know, advertising will change in the future? Will we be able to play a pay a flat fee to never have to look at it again? Um, anything like that coming down the road, or do you see any changes that will be dramatic? Um, I, I don't see dramatic changes, but what I see is a, a continuing moving away from um, interrupting ads. Hmm. Um, I see an increase in branded content and influencer content. I, um, I think that's just going to happen more and more. Um, what I do see is a crisis in um, web the whole business model of the web um, where um, the ads that appear on websites um, actually aren't there because the advertiser wants to be adjacent to that content. They're there because they're doing behavioral targeting in which the ad is following the user around the internet and then the ad is delivered to that user when they land on a website. And so there's another crisis there in which the advertiser has not chosen that content to ad advertise next to, right? So unlike magazines and television programs and the advertiser chose the content to be next to and therefore made a decision, oh, well, I want to be next to this content um, because it, it's yeah. giving me the audience I want. Instead, they're showing up on all sorts of websites that they really might not want to be next <laughs> to um, precisely because they're following the user, yeah. not the content. And so what we have is actually with this total separation of ad and content, we now have this new problem, which is that advertisers are now being told, hey, you know, your ad just showed up on this really objectionable website and you better do something about it. And the advertisers are now frantically trying to figure out how to get their ads off of websites they don't want to be associated with. Right. Um, and and though the problem, too, is that they're also being held responsible for that content when they actually have had nothing to do with it. So we have these these two sort of ends of the spectrum where advertisers are even more disconnected from the content um, on the one hand through web advertising, and on the other hand, they're trying to get more involved in the content in order to attract audiences who are trying to ignore them. Um, and in both cases, it's a, it's a dangerous, there, there's a whole set of problems for the advertisers and for the audience. Oh, yeah. And it's not like you can come back and say, well, hey, you were the one on the site. Get off the site. <laughs> it's like they're not going to win that. But and you, I mean, it really is showing, though, that they're putting down money and then all of a sudden the money 
can put them anywhere, wherever. I mean, they they can't control all the features anymore. They can just get to the demographic. Yes. And so, you know, one of the, I think that the entire infrastructure of web advertising is really at risk um, for, for this reason. And also all the privacy issues in the data that, you know, is being collected and the way it's being abused. Um, So one of the problems though is, is that, for example, the news industry is heavily reliant on, you know, this kind of programmatic, it's called programmatic advertising, um, where ads are being served on these news sites. Um, and so it's really a problem going forward because we've, we've left the world in which the publisher, the advertiser, and the consumer had a, a clear set of relationships, right, where the consumer bought Time magazine because the consumer knew what to expect when they were reading Time magazine. And the advertiser then bought pages in Time magazine because they knew what the editorial right. you know, policies were in Time magazine. So that, all those relationships are now completely fragmented and blown apart in this new sort of web advertising system. And so, you know, everybody is now struggling with trying to figure out what the solution should be. And there's no one entity that can sort of step in and say, okay, let's reorganize this. Um, because in the print industry, they did. They invented something called the Audit Bureau of Circulations back at the beginning of the 20th century, mm. which was like a trade organization that counted the number of issues that were published for every publisher in order to confirm that advertisers were not being defrauded by publishers. It was also a way for publishers to confirm to advertisers that they were reaching the audiences that they thought they were reaching. Right. And so that sort of central clearinghouse of information was a way of stabilizing the market for advertising a hundred years ago. And we don't have anything like that right now for web advertising. Oh, wow. Well, Cynthia, we appreciate you. Cynthia Myers is a professor, again, of communications at College of Mount St. Vincent in New York City, also the author of the book, A Word from Our Sponsor, Ad Men, Advertising in the Golden Age of Radio. Boy, oh boy, have times changed with all this online media And uh, apparently it's putting some major stress on the advertisers as well. They're losing some control and gaining more data. But with more data might come more responsibility, more problems that they didn't even uh, know that were coming. Crazy stuff. We'll continue the journey and do a little Coach's Corner up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! You know, it's interesting. All of this information that we get more and more and more, um, and we hear more about from uh, our advertisers and different advertising agencies, to the fact that Google and uh, Apple are receiving 80% of the income that comes in through app sales, um, the fact that... Uh, we now have heard Google and Facebook uh, had embedded uh, employees that worked for the campaigns during the election to basically help them get the best exposure using Google and Facebook, which means these companies actually helped people win. They helped President Trump win. Now, they would probably hate me saying that, but when you have embedded people that are there to help fully maximize the use of Google and Facebook for an election. And now we're hearing more and more that uh, Trump's people did that pretty well, as did Hillary Clinton's, as did President Obama's people. 
uh, it shows you the power that media has. And remember, uh, when it comes to the power of the media today, especially the online media, it's really significantly more about your data than it is about your, uh, you know, trying to necessarily just bait you to do something. Um, the the data is what they're after. And when you think about uh, trying to move an election, for example, you don't need to move tens of millions of people to vote a certain way. You just need to go target certain groups. And now we have the ability to get in and target those groups down to the very minute group and actually influence them to get out and vote. And they may not even be out to vote for your candidate, but simply having them out voting, you know, might turn certain elections or turn other issues to your favor. Right. I mean, for years we heard about the fact that people would keep putting uh, legalizing marijuana issues on the ballot to keep pulling certain groups of people out of the out of the woodwork um, and, and either to fight that. So having an initiative like a marijuana on the ballot might bring more conservatives to the ballot or might bring, uh, you know, more um, more liberals to the ballot. So just know that it's probably not what it appears to be always. And uh, so if there's ever been a rule, caveat emptor, uh, buyer beware, watch out, be careful what you're doing, be careful on the data you're giving, be careful on um, what – if you notice that you went shopping for couches yesterday and today on your on your feed all you see are couch advertisements, don't think there's a spy. It's just how the internet is working now to take your data and keep using it against you. So be careful. Put up some filters. Do what you can. Be informed. And uh, and make a difference, really, in your own life. Take care of yourself. Protect yourself. Protect your family. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about etiquette when it comes to flying. You may need it if you're traveling during this crazy, busy uh, holiday season. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you fly safely. You know, if you're going to be traveling, you gotta you gotta know the rules, folks. Okay, uh, you gotta know the rules, the air etiquette rules. And so, who better to help us than one of our traveling experts, Terry South? I hate traveling. Even his name has, a tra- <laughs> has is, is associated with travel. Traveling's a hassle. You don't like it. Don't do it. Uh, so, British uh, Airways surveyed 1,500 travelers from the U.S., the U.K., France, Germany, and Italy. Yeah. And they asked them different questions. How do you deal with this challenge of flights? And we'll <laughs> run through a couple. When it comes to the armrest, 67% of respondents say that passengers should commandeer one side of the armrest, leave the other side for their neighbor. That seems like good right? etiquette right there. Then it says 40% of British and American passengers occupying the middle seat said they were most likely to just take the both armrests. Just what? monopolize them. Just do it. I don't like. What are they going to do? Yeah. What, what are you going to do? Possibly, are they going to do to you? Uh, travelers from Italy, France, and Germany were more courteous. Nearly half said the valuable real estate should go to the first person who asks. Well, who's asking? Right. You just take it. I'm like, who has this conversation? I think it should go to the first person in the seat. There you go. Everybody should. Well, hold on. Yeah. No. Never mind. You're you're part of the forty percent apparently. Yeah. But whatever you do, we don't share it. I don't want your arm touching my 67% arm. 67% said you share it. How do you share it? I don't know. You use the edges. You don't you commandeer the your, whole thing. You just kind of hook your... Yeah. yeah okay. I don't know. Uh, shoes off. 59% says it's okay. Sockless. 87% say no. Brr. 
Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, three quarters of Italians who come from the land of Gucci you know, loafers you know, uh, turn Italian. their noses up a passenger's taking off their shoes. So don't do yeah, that. Don't no, take no. off your shoes. Wouldn't do it. If the person in the aisle seat is snoozing and you need access to uh, the uh, use the facilities, let's do it that way. Uh, they go uh, according. Eighty percent of survey subjects say they will wake the person up. So mm-hmm. you're in the middle seat. The person on the aisle is asleep. Oh, yeah. You need to get out to use the restroom. There's eighty percent say wake the person up, or just what? You just go to the bathroom if you don't. You just climb. You just say I got to get up. Dude. But only once per trip added forty percent. Forty percent said more than once is rude. We'll tell that to my bladder. A third said they would steeplechase over the slumbering body, but huh. were torn over the best approach. More than half agreed that uh, when you when you slide past the person, yeah, it's best to go face to face. So you're looking at them as you pass by Hold them. Hold on, what percentage? What did this say? I just... Uh, That's weird, I think. Uh, what's weird? That? Turning towards them? Yes. And then leaning to- over them, and then you could put your hands on their headrest so you can... It just seems a thir- strange. A third, a more than half of them agreed that face-to-face rather than you're looking, say, forward in the cabin, and then you pass by them. Okay. Sticking your posterior yeah. in their... In their I know, direction but... To direction. Go face-to-face. It's a very personal decision then there's, on that. Then there's eye contact, and it's awkward. Yeah. Hi. But if you're not waking them up Excuse and me. keeping your fingers crossed that Excuse they don't me. wake up. I'm just up. stepping over you here. Excuse so I got a few more. Okay, since we'll we're, this is a traveling weekend. Yeah. We'll talk about it. You don't want to miss these. These are the. This is air etiquette, folks, from the Matt Townsend Show. Doing what we can to help you fly, you know, in the friendliest way possible. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Cole. Jeff is on vacation. He's already started the holiday blitz. And Terry's been telling me about how he cooked... His own turkey. Well, my my wife like prepped it. Yeah, she done stuffed it. I put it in the stove or in uh, the oven. You know, edible, I, yeah. I I open the door, I set it in, I shut the door. You know what though? So at least I you did it, it, but you're cooking together. And well, pe- no, she had left for a meeting. Oh, okay. So she just said, "Hey, when this we had roasted vegetables going to, uh, so take those out and then put the turkey in." Yeah. So my my contribution was the physical labor of taking it from the counter into the oven. <laughs> I cooked it. It was me. But you had a full turkey meal, and then you got to have a sandwich. Yes. Oh, that's the best. Did you have the canned cranberries that came out in the Jello can or the gelat- gelatinous can shape? We did. Oh, those are the best. And then I you slice it perfect. We could have done something more imaginative with the cranberries. And she goes, no, 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 no. Must look like a can. And Are you a, a mayonnaise or a Miracle Whip? Um, either way, she she purchases mayonnaise. I'm going with Miracle Whip. Yeah, I, I, I like sugar. I like the in tangy, my I like condiments. the tangy zip myself, but yeah. uh, she's not a fan. So. Tangy. <laughs> I like the tangy zip myself. That's great. Oh, I'm excited. But here's the deal: I, we're having a turkey dinner, mm. but I'm afraid we're staying at a condo. Ooh. But we're having the dinner at another place, yeah. so we will get nothing to take home. Yeah. Except what we bring, which will probably be – I think we're bringing gravy. So I will have a bowl of gravy. Maybe I'll 
Just drink that. It seems bad for you. Hey, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we'll be speaking with our our favorite Yale uh, psychiatrist, Everyone child psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Frank Ninavaji. He's going to be joining us to talk about learning disabilities, learning difficulties. We may be oversimplifying it. Mm. Remember, we used to just call people mentally – we actually used to call them mentally retarded was, was by definition right. what the diagnosis was. And he's going to say we don't – A, you don't really say that anymore, but you – it's more complicated than one diagnosis, right? So he's going to show us some of the complexities of it. But if you have a child that you think might be having a learning disability or struggling to learn, maybe there's some insights that uh, we all could, could strive for to hopefully make their life a little bit better. People need to be literate. Um, and if they're not, they're going to pay a high price. So we'll be covering that, of course. Plus, uh, speaking of literacy, uh, we could get into some of the headlines with uh, Washington, D.C., what's going on there. Uh, I'm a little frustrated, actually a lot frustrated about a a new mandate coming out um, by the White House to basically terminate the order. I mean, it was it was supposed to expire in 2019 for the Haitians that were uh, brought into the country, allowed into the country after the 2010 earthquake. Sixty thousand or so uh, Haitians came into the country, were able to work, were able to do a lot of things, uh, live here. And uh, it helped these refugees deal with the fact that their country was decimated. Well, uh, the Trump administration has decided that that will end officially in 2019. They won't extend it. So 58,000 refugees from Haiti need to go back home. They say they're doing that to protect the homeland. Um, and, and their argument was it was a temporary situation. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, seven years later, um, they're all going home to a place that doesn't exist and probably can't support 58,000 Americanized Haitians. What happens when 50? I mean, you'd think that would be a great thing. Hey, send 58,000 Americanized Haitians back to Haiti. They'll elevate the entire island. You can just hear the opposing voice saying, is that our fault? Yeah. No, it's just. So why do we have to deal with the the hassle? It's called charity. Oh, and it never faileth. But does it have limits? And ironically, these Haitians are probably serving an incredible purpose here they're helping they're taking our jobs they're taking the jobs that apparently nobody wants anyway oh did anyone ask yeah <laughs> i just it's, i i i've heard interviews with people yeah. as they talk about this and you look at them like but again you realize these are people in need yeah we can help them but yeah. we're choosing not to because jobs that nobody here wanted yeah. they took and, and now we're concerned about that and it's a position allegedly. people are taking it's a position you got to get rid of people that aren't like you that's a position but there's still a virtue and a principle behind this that these people need our help and by the way many countries still need our help well are we supposed to sit and just help everybody well i don't know what do you believe in no i believe in take 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 I mean, the funny thing is we just at some point have to live our values as we're entering a a season of thanks. Can you imagine if the United States suffered anything, anything close to what Haiti suffered Mm. in 2010? Decimated country and only 58,000 of of them made it to the United States. And we're like, no, get rid of them. They're a drag on our life. That's just crazy. 
again, on top of Puerto Rico, the the that power company from Wyoming, Whitefish or, Energy yeah. or whatever it was they're called, now pulling yeah. out. They got they're by the way eighty five million dollars in debt. Yeah, because Puerto Rico can't pay the bill, and the money's not coming from the government to Puerto Rico to pay the bills. So they're going to leave with whatever percentage of power on. I think twenty five percent. Yeah. 75% of the power still not. So the quite. whole aspect of Christmas having power, meh, we'll see. Yeah. Disappointing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is just politics, really, I guess. And uh, the, But the sad thing is you still are going to go have your turkey dinner. Be careful you don't just get caught up on your positions, right? At some point, you also supposedly have principles. And hopefully your principles will help you vote and choose and lead lives of principle, not just positions on things. Uh, Let's get to the headlines with Terry South so Terry can help us understand what else should we be paying attention to. Union officials in Texas say an ambush was to blame for the death of a 36-year-old Border Patrol agent who was found with with head injuries over the weekend. Agent Rogelio Martinez died Sunday after being found at the bottom of a 14-foot culvert Late Saturday, he and his partner, who sustained serious injuries but survived, had been patrolling in the Big Bend area when they were injured in circumstances that are not clear. What we know is that the Border Patrol agent Martinez appeared to have been ambushed by a group of illegal aliens who he was tracking. Brandon Judd, a Border Patrol agent and head of the National Border Patrol Council Union, was cited as saying by the L.A. Times, Judd said Martinez was struck in the head multiple times with a rock or rocks. The FBI has confirmed that Martinez and his partner were found at the bottom of the culvert with serious head injuries, but given no, but gave no further details. A separate report by the Associated Press on Monday cited a U.S. official saying Martinez's partner has no recollection of the events, and investigators are looking into whether Martinez simply fell into the culvert. Oh, really? So there's this there's I mean, this yeah, story that fall. they were stoned essentially by an, an assailant of some kind. And then there's this other one where he might have just fallen down the yeah. culvert. They're not sure. But they but, weren't. Were they Haitians? No, they were I was just the checking. U.S. Mexico border. So. Yeah. And people are jumping to social media and they're talking about this sure. story, but not no, not real. A lot of details are out there. And you have this other story about he might have just fallen down a yeah. hill. So this, this then that, uh, he, that does also <laughs> push President Trump to like knock on the build the walls. So yep. That's why we need a wall. He's talking about the people wall. People won't fall in culverts if we have a wall. Yeah. So I, we'll, we'll see. It, it's a scary story. Is these, the, he, he was out there. I'm investigating an alarm. They have uh, yeah. proximity sensors. Yeah. And he, uh, sometimes it's an animal, sometimes it's human. And they, he determined it was a human, called for backup, and then they found him later. As well, he, we'll he find died. out. So it'll come out. The Federal Communications Commission on Tuesday will unveil a plan to revoke net neutrality regulations. This according to Politico. The commission's uh, chair, Ajit Pai, will reportedly introduce a plan to get Obamacare-era regulations that prevented Internet service providers from slowing or blocking certain web traffic or paying to put their preferred web content in a so-called fast lane. The Republican-led I'm FCC will vote lane. on the still-secret plan in December, as it says. Wow. Okay. We'll see how that goes. Get life um, in the fast lane. Nothing better than that. This was an interesting story I found. This, uh, sleep. Uh, National Sleep Foundation recommends an average of eight hours of sleep per night for adults, but sleep scientist Matthew Walker says that too many people are falling for uh, short of that mark. He goes, human beings are the only species that deliberately deprives themselves of sleep for no apparent gain. 
Many people walk through their lives in an underslept state, not realizing it. Wow. Walker is the director of the Center for Human Sleep Sciences at uh, University of California, Berkeley. He points out that a lack of sleep defined as six hours or fewer can have serious consequences. Sleep deficiency is associated with problems in concentration, memory, and the immune system and may even shorten your lifespan. We are better than all the other animals. But, I mean, and they talk about in here, the other animals, they sleep. They yeah. normally get their normal amount of sleep, but we deprive ourselves for what? To watch a TV show? But it's because they don't have hands. They You're also right. don't work 7 a.m. morning shows That's on the right. radio. And they don't have the internet. So. Such a good point. It's, and yet we sit there and think we are the superior species. The lack of sleep, we says, can't go to sleep quiets the mind and it dampens down what we call the fight or flight branch of the nervous system, which yes. is one of the key features of insomnia. And it can really have some inf- uh, some uh, horrible benefits also. He says, so uh, another solution if people choose to not go to a different room. So it's just this idea that you're, you're underslept and so everything is going to be a slower reaction. That's totally true. Yeah. Totally true. When I sleep when I'm driving, I don't react half as fast. That's right. You don't, you're not paying attention. Yeah. And if I haven't slept and I sleep while I'm driving, if I haven't slept for like a day and I'm sleep driving, horrible driver. Did you see that our, our mutual commute is going to have more construction? I know. I was so excited for that. Widening more freeways uh-huh. and bridges and overpasses yeah. like all the way up and down our entire commute. It's, it's going to be, be great. Awesome. I, I can't wait. We've been dealing with this. This, uh, this I, terror luge I through, uh, and through I thought Provo. It was, I thought that was going to end, but apparently no. they've extended the dates. And oh, I, it's going to go clear out on the freeway. We're talking oh, different cities, brother. different counties. It's Come awesome. on! My uh, five-minute commute yeah, laughs at both sh- of you. Sh- sh- be quiet, be quiet. <laughs> Tell your five-minute commute to be quiet. <laughs> uh, nothing quite says it's the most wonderful time of year like the Make America Great Again hat decorated with embroidered Christmas lights. Oh, neat. The festive items now for sale on President Trump's campaign store runs for $45, up from the $25 it costs to purchase the regular red mega hat, you know, whatever. So so the, the regular hat's 25 bucks, but yeah. this one with lights, well, yeah. $45. You got to pay for the lights, the yeah. bling. The official uniform of the war on Christmas, as President Trump called it, can be picked up along with a collectible ornament for uh, $45. Not nice little it. combo down from one hundred forty nine dollars. Aren't they the war on the war on Christmas? Though? Well, it's the uh, it's the official uniform though. Wear the Make America Great Again hat. Well, right, war on Christmas with the Christmas lights. That would be see. Well, that tell me that wouldn't put a little extra s- spring in Grandpa's. Step. You're fighting the mm. war on Christmas. You need to wear that hat. Apparently, yeah. But I thought they were for Christmas. No, they are. They're saying there is a war on Christmas. Oh, Other people the are trying to yeah, stop they're, it. They're, they're defending like, it. Okay. This is the uniform. It would actually they, that would be a commanding general. Okay. If, if you're if you get that hat, you are definitely in the upper echelon. What if I just want to be a lieutenant? Then mm. just get it without lights. Okay. And finally, yeah. Little tip here. Okay. What do you think about rehearsal Thanksgiving? Like a like a pre run like, like a, you did yeah, it we did for it. the food yeah. the pre run for what the food what about a pre run for Thanksgiving I like the food pre run I think okay. that's a brilliant idea I don't necessarily want to have everyone over for a pre run no no no, no. this is just about the food not yeah, about yeah. bringing people yeah. no, over let's it's do food it. let's do it okay because this this article in the Washington Post was talking about this woman uh, was you know she has a, a big gathering mm-hmm. and she wants to make sure all the food is going to work yeah. 
and the recipes are where she needs them and she knows how she needs to do that. So she decided to use her family as kind of the guinea pigs and she did a full Thanksgiving meal. What a wonderful woman. So so before hosting the whole family, she did the test run with her daughter and husband. Almost everything came out well, but when the dressing wasn't quite right, she consulted her mom. The two conferred on ingredients, technique, and cooking time. She ended up giving me her stuffing pan for Thanksgiving. It just didn't taste the same without the pan. It's always the pan. And you know what else? The love. The love of mom's little hands squishing through the stuffing. So is that... Is that just an excuse to have two Thanksgivings, yes. or is that uh, you're really testing out recipes? Well, you got to make sure these. The work. thing is, I think your brain actually believes you are really testing things out, mm-hmm. but your gut knows it's really just to satisfy its hankering. What do you think your husband felt? Do you think when he was eating the food, he was really like, "Wow, I got to really make sure Thanksgiving's going to go off well"? No, or was he thinking, "Awesome, two Thanksgivings." He's like, "I am so grateful my wife is this controlling. We're going to have so much food in this house." <laughs> I love my wife. Yeah, rehearsal <laughs> Thanksgiving. People are doing that more. And I more think now. it's. I think it's a great idea. I think too. We ought to probably have a rehearsal um, conversation list. Oh, nice. Yes, I think I. I'm really seriously considering putting up a whiteboard. Next to our Thanksgiving table. So you check off? Topics we can discuss, topics that we shouldn't discuss. I probably will have music that we can turn up the minute somebody says something about, you know, some political figure. Right. Maybe you have some sort of light system. Yeah. To stop you hear about Charlie talk. Rose? Stop it. <laughs> we just turn it up. Give your kid an air horn. Oh, that's right? all we need. No, don't ever give your kid an so air horn. So every time someone does something, he can you can look over at him, give him the signal, he can light up the air horn. <laughs> Jimmy, hit the horn. Hit the horn. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's it's exciting. This is everyone always pretends like they don't like Thanksgiving, but it's something you'll like. I mean, the meal. Right. And the game. It's really fun to watch Detroit for 30 years lose a game. But this year, Detroit could win. Are they playing? Who are they playing this year? Who? Don't they always, doesn't Detroit always play the same? The Lions end up being one of the teams. Yeah, I haven't seen. I, I, saw, I saw the Cowboys are playing the Chargers. I thought the Cowboys and Redskins always played around. No, it was time. the Cowboys and Lions. They always play on Thanksgiving. Just not each other. But yeah, yeah, the Cowboys are going to play the Los Angeles Chargers that nobody wants in Los Angeles and nobody wants to watch. Yeah, and then the NFL found <laughs> out they could make more money if they stuck another game on there. Oh, yeah, there's and a, so there's also a night game. Yeah, there's a night game. That's on like NFL Network, right? Yep. Yeah. And then they wonder why the ratings don't work. Yeah. They're spreading it too thin. Yeah, you're putting too much content out and it's not good content. Why don't mm. they give us good games on Thanksgiving? It's always the Lions. They're never good. They, but this year they're good, aren't they? This year they're doing better. Better than well, back in the old day, they never won. Right, and they they win occasionally. Yeah, they have an overpriced quarterback who can't quite get them over that finish line. Hey, if by the way, if you're heading to Montana, you might want to get pulled over. What? Oh yeah, it's kind of a weird story. Some Montana drivers got Thanksgiving turkeys instead of tickets. Isn't that sweet? They were pulled over, over, according to the Billings Gazette, reports that officers with the Billings Police Department checked for outstanding warrants Wednesday after pulling over drivers for traffic violations. Hmm. If they found no warrants, they issued a written warning and a frozen turkey. That is pretty cool. So you just get ticketed. Hey, yeah, I fixed that taillight. And hey, good job not having any any warrants. Proud of you on that one. Take a turkey. (laughs) Good job. No warrants. All right. (laughs) <laughs> Businessman Steve Gutanis uh, bought 20 turkeys and asked the department to distribute them in time for the holidays. Wow. So if you see those red and blue lights. Is there no food pantries in Montana? 
Well, yeah, but it's more about the drivers that don't have warrants. This is a traveling food pantry. Everything's not for the homeless. It comes to you. Okay. <laughs> Just seems like yeah, that's a. I mean, it's a good story, but it's a great story. Maybe there's a a kitchen somewhere that are going to feed the homeless, the less fortunate that yeah. get some food ah, that aren't no? speeding, that aren't speeding when you pull them over or whatever they did. Because obviously the person was doing something. They they were pulled over, right? Because no cop ever pulls you're, people over for no turning, reason. You're turning the spirit. What? Am I ruining it already? The spirit off. Well, ugh. what are you uh, gonna do? Maybe this will help. Okay. Um, if you're a blonde and you're a teacher, you got to be careful. Listen to this story. A teacher has a really blonde moment when she sends her insurance f- f- uh, company a picture of herself instead of her car. Yeah. Yeah. Red-faced teacher suffered a hilarious blonde moment by sending photos of herself to a car insurance company rather than snaps of her vehicle. Alyssa Stringfellow, 25, from Arkansas. <laughs> this is funny, yeah. <laughs> Arkansas, U.S., was asked to take front, uh, take a front and side profile picture before her new insurance could be processed. For her car. For her car, but they apparently didn't clarify that. But Alyssa, yeah. <laughs> who teaches special needs kids, misunderstood the simple request and instead sent uh, some images of herself. So she's out standing in front of her house. Smiling enthusiastically at the camera. <laughs> front and yeah. profile. And then Alyssa sent the the pictures in, um, and you know the, the guy from the insurance company started laughing, and he called her. Actually, sent an email. Yeah. I, uh, you know, you, you need to send us pictures of your car, not you. <laughs> what do you say? Maybe, like, maybe it was an honest mistake, and she just like many millennials has a lot of pictures of herself on her camera yeah. roll yeah. already. Th- this is because of selfies. No, she just no. sent the wrong one. This is a selfie situation. This is like, but, see, they want my picture, Grandma. Uh, my Grandma Carolyn was like, I think he's insuring the car, not you. <laughs> No, no, I'm sure this is what they want. But uh, the teacher chalks it all up to a blonde moment, but it has given so many people a good laugh that she said, I don't care anymore. That's nice of Alyssa to share that because she may have been so embarrassed that she didn't want to share it. Share your shame and embarrassment. Share your shame. And if not, we will share it for you. (laughs) I think that's really cool. And by the way, back to the famous story that we had last time, uh, last year at this time, bears. Yeah. Bars. Uh Bears are now breaking into homes all over Monrovia, California. Well, build your house in their habitat. They're going to come in and eat your food. A family there says bears have visited her house three times in the past two weeks. Wow. Once they even came inside. Cool. Cell phone video uh, shows homeowner Jenny Mark's husband trying to reason with the bear cub. Don't get in my kayak. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, Bear cub that squeezed itself through the gap in her sliding door in an attempt to feast on the cat food. Mm. It's mother and sibling waited just outside. It's that fish flavor. They just can't get enough. Yeah. But is it real fish flavor? No, of course not. But they're going to waste that on yeah. a cat. Come on. Yeah, totally. We always leave our- Fancy uh, feast. That's what it was. <laughs> it's a fancy feast. By the way, have you ever watched a cat food commercial and thought, that kind of looks good? Uh, no. Really? Nope. The, not the canned one where they're like, mm. kind of looks like tuna? Nope. Yeah. Because it doesn't. It's yeah. brown and- Slimy. Yeah, me either. Like, no. Yeah, right. It's totally what I got from that question. Yeah, once I did. You're over there putting your, your bib on, getting your knife and fork looks, ready. Like, what's the deal with these cats? How come they get the good stuff? They're spoiled. This family said they always left their sliding door open about five inches to let the cats go in and out. But, uh, you know, now they've learned that that lets the dogs in. Uh, the father estimates the bear cubs weighed about 200 pounds apiece. His wife said uh, the husband tried to shoo them out, but eventually they just left on their own. That's that's what they do. 
Eventually, they'll just decide it's not worth it. Got to get out of here. Uh, their home is near the foothills, so you got to watch out. It's a nerve-wracking thing. Be careful this holiday season. Uh, you know, count your cats. And, uh, and don't count your bears. And count your bears, and don't leave the cat food out. And don't eat it, for heaven's sakes. You don't know what's in that. Hey, straight ahead, we're going to be speaking with our favorite Yale psychiatrist, Dr. Frank Ninavaggi, will be joining us, talking about learning disabilities and uh, and helping you understand, you know, some basics about learning disabilities and your children. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, it's very difficult in today's world to live without literacy and basic literacy uh, skills. The developing world is constantly trying to figure out how to spread reading, writing, and calculating to the rest of the world and how to get students in the United States up to speed. But what are some of the underlying problems that may be impacting um, our learning and our and our ability to learn? Um, there's, there's also a lot of other uh, political issues at play where the money's being spent, uh, how much time parents are able to give to their children and some of their learning as well. So here to help us kind of sort through learning disabilities and, and understand better uh, what's going on with some of our children and why they're learning, maybe they may be struggling to learn, is one of our great uh, contributors, Dr. Frank Ninavaji. He's an assistant clinical professor of child psychology or psychiatry. Got to get that very straight. Child psychiatry. He's a medical doctor. Um, at Yale University. He's here to teach us a little bit more about learning difficulties. He's also the author of a, a, a lot of books. Uh, he's a regular contributor to Psychology Today, and he has a recent book, Making Sense of Emotion, Innovating Emotional Intelligence, which was just published. And uh, Frank, how are you doing today? Fine. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. You bet. We love having you on, and we love to pick your brain. Um, Now, we talk about learning disabilities and learning difficulties, but as as I read your article, what I realized, Frank, is – Boy, there's a lot we don't know about learning disabilities. And yet we, you know, your child might be diagnosed with one and you may not even know where to begin to even know how to handle it. That's true. And if you uh, notice uh, in the article, I gave the uh, prevalence rates. Yeah. You know, uh, <clears throat> I always bring up ADHD and I sort of uh, wince when I do. But the prevalence rate of ADHD is 5% in children, whereas the prevalence rate of um, specific learning disabilities or specific learning disorders is 5 to 15%. Huh. Much higher. It's almost triple. Yeah. Now, you never hear about my child has an LD. Right. Every child that we hear about has ADHD, but the scientifically measured prevalence rate is only up to 5% for ADD, ADHD, whereas the scientifically measured prevalence rates in the DSM-5 for specific learning disorders of reading, writing, or mathematics is anywhere from 5 up to 15%. Hmm. So it's much more prevalent, prominent, and common, but it's really not spoken about a lot. 
And uh, there probably is, we can speculate on the reasoning behind that. Yeah. In fact, talk about, uh, like, give us give us an example of what are some of these learning disabilities? Because I, I, we, we know of the term ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We've, we've heard that. We've seen that thrown around. But we may not even know the names of many of the learning disabilities. Well, um, in child psychiatry, that, I'm a child psychiatrist, right. medical doctor psychiatrist. We use the DSM-5, fifth edition revision, and try to narrow things down and make things as specific uh, as possible and scientifically uh, clear and valid, true. So in psychiatry, uh, when a child has a, a real learning disability, psychiatrists refer to it as a specific learning disorder, and that falls into one of three categories, either reading or writing or Mm. mathematics. But if you read the article, and my experience for 25 years at the Devereux Glen Home School shows that even though the learning disorder of reading is most prevalent and prominent. Usually when that's present, there's always another learning disorder or disorders that accompany it. Like there's a writing difficulty or there's a mathematical problem difficulty. But usually only one of the the learning disorders, the specific learning disorders, really dominates the Hmm. child's academic performance. And that's, it's very critical to realize here, we are really talking about learning problems, a problem in how to learn. ADHD is not a problem of learning. It's a problem of performing. Hmm. Because many of the ADHD so-called children have normal IQs, and they can learn fine. Their problem is performing what they already know. Interesting. That's an interesting difference, right? It's a very interesting difference, and some might argue with me and say their attention problem prevents them from learning properly. You know what it really is? If they attended and concentrated, they'd learn wonderfully, yeah. and they'd store the information, it'd be in, the, in their minds, but in terms of performing it, that's where the difficulty is. It's a performance inability. Now, one of the uh, uh, subtle implications of what I've been saying is that there are no medications Number one, that increase intelligence. Hmm. There are no smart pills. Right. Number two, there are no pills or recommended medications for the, the prevalent learning dis- disorders. Up to 15% of children have problem reading, reading well. But there are no drugs, no drug manufacturers who've come up with uh, something clever and uh, told teachers, parents, and uh, American society, this is a learning disorder pill. Hmm. So we don't have that, and therefore that whole domain in academics 
is sort of falls by the cracks, falls obscured. It's overshadowed by the ADD, ADHD, only 5% prevalence, but 500 different medications, all purporting to... Uh, treat it. Yeah, rid you of it. So that's interesting. So one of the reasons we don't hear about learning disabilities as much is it's not treatable by pharma pharmaceuticals. Right, pharmacology, yeah. ph- pharmaceuticals or drugs. <laughs> interesting. And the truth is, yeah. nor is ADHD right. when it comes down to it, because children with ADHD on drugs may improve a little bit, but they still have difficulties. I know that as a fact. I've seen it for 25 years. Children from three years old up to 22, three years old, they still have difficulties. And the, what really it goes in the shadows is the side effect of the stimulant medications that are being given. The side effect profile is horrendous. It's not spoken about. Uh, Every uh, stimulant medication for ADD, ADHD has a black box warning, may cause addiction, may cause uh, addiction and withdrawal, Mm. may cause psychosis, will raise your blood pressure. That's the black box warning. But parents are not told this. And then when I see the children at the Devereux Glenholm School, and they have all these side effects, no appetite, no growth in height. Uh, they tremble. They're, they're full of anxiety. They have sleep difficulties uh, such that parents load them up with melatonin, which doesn't work. Right. Uh, it's because of the side effects of the stimulant medication. Mm. It's a tangled web. And then, uh, but boy, it sure makes sense the way you put it that way that when we think of it as a chemical fix, um, it, it makes it easier. But the fix to a learning disability would be, I guess, intervention on either their ability to read, write, or calculate. Exactly. And those interventions, I, I don't want to use a kind of too harsh a word. Those interventions have to be massive. And massive means they have to be, number the problems have to be recognized. They have to be delineated. One has to see, uh, does the child have a major reading problem, a major mathematical problem, or a major um, uh, other problem, or a combined problem with writing? And it's usually a mixture. And then, what interventions academically in school, what learning strategies, techniques, that you could teach the child that you could actually put the child in an environment so that learning is easier for the child, and then that you could help the teacher or the special Mm. ed teacher train and teach the child in ways that that will get through and have a a meaning for the child, become meaningful. It's really solving... It's it's learning how they learn, learning what their disability is, learning how to mitigate... And, and give them the highest opportunity to learn. That's exactly right. And then, and then teaching the everyone else. Yeah. That are there. That's great. Minimize the disabilities. How right. do we know? 
Uh, because I, uh, another thing that kind of surprised me about your article, again, as we're speaking with Dr. Frank Ninavaji, who is uh, an associate attending physician at Yale New Haven Hospital and assistant clinical professor of child psychiatry at Yale University uh, School of Medicine's um, Child Study Center. I'm wondering, uh, Frank, I didn't realize that th- these learning disabilities, I guess, are, are you should know by what, six years old? Well, it's one to six. Uh, six years old is first grade, and things are still a little bit in unmatured in the process of formation. Okay. Certainly, by about eight uh, eight years old, which is second third grade, you begin to see problems with reading, understanding reading, problems with penmanship, writing, problems with mathematics, and then you just keep monitoring it. And for sure, by 10 years old, you can delineate who has and who does not have a, a true specific learning disorder. And as soon as you, you see it, you know, there are many ways to um, kind of evaluate it. And I've listed them in the article. Yeah. And that's what special ed teachers do. And they're, they're supposed to do. <clears throat> But it's a little complicated and time-consuming. But once a parent senses that his or her child is not reading properly, reading fluently, writing in a legible, reasonable way, or understanding or getting mathematics, that parent has to uh, call a meeting with the teachers. And uh, if things really do look rocky, then testing is in order. Testing and um, trying to determine whether or not a specific learning disorder is present or absent. And if it's present, deciding exactly what that child needs for remediation in the classroom. Do we leave this up to our teachers or really do we as parents need to, if we can, step in and, and really lead this? Years ago, Everybody left everything up to everybody else. <laughs> right. Uh, the nowadays, good old days. <laughs> I think we're either a little smarter or a little stupider yeah. or mixtures. And I believe it's the mixtures. We think we're clever, but we're clever fools. It's not wise to leave anything up to anybody else. You know, this is the definition of the word accountable, accountability. You have to be a self-activist. That's a a phrase I use throughout my writings. Each one of us has to take the bull by the horns, be a self-activist, be highly accountable, and be on top of whatever's going on in our lives and Mm. in our children's lives. And if you you see something not working out right, a child really not doing homework or or getting uh, failing grades, then you need to um, communicate with the teachers. You have to engage. You have to be not proactive, but you have to be active, active, active yeah. to the, in a reasonable way. Right. Now, I'm, I mean this just the way I say it, in a reasonable, cooperative, agreeable way, because we're all members of one team, the human team, and uh, whether that's in school or in the family, it's one team, and the older we are, the more we have a sense of accountability and responsibility for the younger ones that are amidst us. Mm. How do we not over 
like, how do I not get too worried and how do I not get too passive? It seems like some parents might go into denial when they see a learning disability and some might just go into freak out mode. Well, <laughs> it's a big question and you touch on a lot of uh, characterological, a lot of political, a lot of cultural, a lot of uh, depending on where you live, what city, what town, what state. Um, <clears throat> you, you, the, the, uh, the middle path is always the path that seems best, seems rightest and truest. So the child should be passing all his or her subjects, should not be failing. And by passing, I mean Bs. Mm-hmm. C- occasional C, maybe an occasional A, but at least a solid B, B-. minus. If you see major discrepancies in the child's academic performance, uh, as long as the child is going to school, that's number one. Child yeah. has to go to school. Try to uh, learn and uh, take the tests and get the feedback. Uh, if you see something that is a continuous pattern of failure, meaning not success, then each of us has a right to question why is this happening? And uh, it's happening for a reason. Maybe we don't know the precise, exact reasons, but we, we know enough so that we can implement a treatment plan, an educational treatment plan that should be helpful. And that educational treatment plan needs to be monitored continuously. Mm, that's great. And I guess... Um, we might have to turn off a little bit of our embarrassment because we might be embarrassed by their lack of grades. One of the things I loved about your article that you wrote in Psychology Today, and for those listening, Literacy Rampage, So You Want to Be Literate is the name of the article. Um, But it also gives us some insight into the fact that it's a very complex problem. And we, we it's not just that they're smart or dumb, right? It's not just that they're good or bad. What I love about how you work, Frank, is there's a lot of gray, and a lot of this is gray. Um, just It's complicated, right? That's right. A lot of it is uh, we, all of us exist on a spectrum, and in reality, there's no end either way to the spectrum. It's just one, uh, it's one entity, one existential entity. And we all participate in it, some better, some worse, and some of our functioning, some people function in an uneven way, some people function in a more even way. They have more successes in more things, or they have great success in one thing, but not so much success in many, many other aspects of their lives. Hmm. So we have to take that into consideration, Uh, subtleties. In, it used to be called, uh, in former times, individual differences. Individual differences are real. They are part of the way uh, the creator of the universe, uh, I think, has planned it. Organized, yeah. We, I see it all around me. I see some trees are taller, some trees are shorter. Some flowers are pink, some are white, some are called roses, some are called peonies. There's so much individual uh, distinctiveness, and so too us, human beings, as part of great nature, 
have these individual differences. So we're not going to be like uh, from a cookie cutter. Mm. And every kid's different, even in your own gene pool. That's that's another thing I've learned is they're all unique, just, you know, Isn't just unique wonderful? gifts. It is wonderful. It is so wonderful. It's oh, but it's hard adventure. to parent. Hard to parent. Well, you, it's a we, wonderful we, hardness. It is. We it's want a, a cookie it's cutter. A, it's an awesome hardness. It really is. Frank, when is, I say that word awesome, I don't mean like the hippie yeah, awesome. Yeah, like totally cool. I mean awe. I'm full of awe when I see each individual child at Devereaux Glenholm. He, she is so different from all the other children. They all come in with the same diagnoses, autistic spectrum, ADHD, bipolar, but everyone is an individual. Yeah. I have a kind of a funny thing when I have phone calls with parents. Uh, sometimes a parent can really get uptight, and this addresses what you've referred to earlier. Yeah. And the, the parent uh, becomes defensive, and in order to quell the parent's own anxiety, he or she will say, what is my child's diagnosis? I have to know my child's diagnosis. Do you know? And so I say, of course I know. <laughs> I know your child's precise diagnosis. Now, are you ready? Are, are you listening? This is the precise diagnosis. Human being. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, Frank, that's beautiful. Seriously, love having you on the show and just love that insight. They're just human beings. Dr. Frank Nindavaji, thank you so much. Happy holidays to you. Again, everybody, go find Frank's book, Making Sense of Emotion, Innovating Emotional Intelligence. Um, wonderful read there. Plus, go you can go find him on Psychology Today. He, he really has uh, just just so many incredible articles and profound profound depth. Um, That's it. Diagnosis for all of us. Just human beings. So beautiful. What a beautiful spirit, really. Uh, We'll continue the journey straight ahead to a quick little coach's corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. You know, welcome back. Uh, when we talk about um, Turkey Day and the great opportunity to hang out and be with each other, one of the things that will come to a head, I'm sure, is the fact that you will be sitting around a table with a bunch of human beings, as Dr. Frank Ninavaji just taught us. Uh, it's We're all just humans, right, on this great big ball of mud doing what we can to survive, and many of us don't even know the things that are truly impacting us so deep inside. We don't understand how our genes are making us be. We don't understand our choices. We don't even understand our um, ourselves well enough to really to be the person we need to be. And then on top of that, we put 10 of us around a table with a lot of history, a lot of assumptions, and we're going to carbo-load everybody up. It seems like the making of something crazy. So what I would just suggest as your coach uh, helping you get through life could we just understand that everybody needs uh, to just be accepted and, and appreciated for being alive, for being who they are? Is there a way that you can take these people that you love and care about the very most and extend during Thanksgiving time a little humanity and a little acceptance um, and, and really maybe a little bit more compassion? 
And when when you think about being a human being, it's the human part that makes it the test. It's also the human part that makes it the challenge and makes it so we can all grow a little uh, taller and be a little better. So I challenge all of us to be grateful to the humans that are around us, show some gratitude, and let's make this holiday season something really special by you being something really powerful. Be the kind of human being you really truly want to be. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, one of our favorite human beings, Leanna Tan, is here, and she's going to give, go on a little bit of a tangent about uh, Black Friday where, again, humans seem to take a whole lot, whole different personality on. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's time, folks. Uh, Leanna Tan is in the office. She's She comes in about twice a month to, uh, to work and... Uh, and just hang out with us in studio. How are you, Leanna? I'm doing great. Leanna's known for her tangents. Yeah. Leanna Tan's tangents. Today you're going to take on what idea? You're going to take on Black Friday. Yeah, because I was at the mall the other day. Yeah. And I walked in just to return something casually. You know, I was like, oh, this will take about two minutes. But I was wrong because the, people started selling. They're starting the Black Friday so, sales like a week early. Oh, come so on. I was drawn in and I ended up yeah. spending like. Thirty more dollars? <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. You know, you don't great. have to spend. Uh, when you see those kind of deals, I mean, you yeah. Got were they good deals? They were good, and so, but the, I've never actually done the Black Friday thing, really. So no, I haven't either. Yeah, I always go at like the end of the day, you know, like when the sun's setting, and then catch the end of the day. I had a friend who did Black Sabbath. That's not the same. That was music but, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to teach us how to handle the Black Black Friday? Yeah, because I figured um, maybe this year I would try. But then I started looking. I found this article on Forbes.com that kind of told us the survival guide. Okay, yeah. And it sounds like it's mayhem. All right. Their survival. Oh, so listen to the advice. So first of all, they uh, recommend wearing a crossbody bag to protect you from thieves. Okay. So oh, this is whatever intense. you do, you've got to have a, a bag that goes across your chest. Yeah. Yeah. Without any ammo, without any hand grenades. I didn't know people got so into this. Uh-huh. I thought there were thieves. Crossbody. Yeah. Don't, don't have a well. shoulder bag. You're easy target. Yeah. And along with that, it says <laughs> bring a big unmarked brown bag to conceal valuables while you shop. So not really? only are you carrying all your shopping bags, but you're also carrying this big un like. Unmarked brown, brown, bag. brown bag. You don't want any branding on it. Exactly. And how do you find one of those? Well, I guess you got to go buy one on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. First thing, go buy the big unmarked brown bag. And okay. who are these people? I guess they're the shoppers. Are they also stealing stuff like Apparently. from other people too? <laughs> maybe don't even take a bag, right? Just maybe take like your wallet and your credit card and <laughs> stick it in your pocket. That's a good idea. Um, number three. Um, you're supposed to stake out the closest register to your desired merchandise. This sounds so intense. What? Yeah. So you're supposed to go beforehand, scope out the store, oh, this is, this see is the... where you want your desired merchandise, and the and like the beeline you can make to the closest register. So you can oh, because you're going to run in, you're going to sprint in, you're going to grab your goods, and then you got to sprint right to your register. Yeah. While you're pulling a 54 inch television behind you. So I've been working out this past week just to gear up yeah, for this event. <laughs> You look huge. In legs every day. <laughs> so a lot of this is just, this sounds like mayhem. This sounds like a very violent thing. I feel thing. terrified. I don't know if I want to do no, this. No, this is, 
listen to listen to this one. This was so crazy. Put your address and phone number inside your child's pocket just in case they get kidnapped or Ooh, lost. Don't during this take process. your kid. I know. So I mean, that's crazy. If my mom ever took me to yeah. shopping without that card in my pocket, right. I knew she just she oh, wanted yeah. to get rid of me. It well, you know, Cole's mom used either. to just hook a like a harness on him. Yeah, and then they just had him always tethered. <laughs> it was smart that way. Like, they oh, never lost him though. Kids uh, are bad. Let's take him. Yeah, I wouldn't. Black Friday I, wouldn't shopping. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest you take your kids Black Friday. Yeah, shopping, it sounds right? like a horrible. Place. Maybe leave them at home, or put them in your brown bag. Yeah, you know, if you got a big enough bag, just Conceal drag those valuables. <laughs> Son, mom will look for you in about ten minutes after we get out of Coles. Yeah, man. Any cool. other advice to get through this crazy day? Uh, I think the last thing I found on a different article was the best advice, probably, yeah. and it's just. Avoid it all together and enjoy your leftovers. That's right. Go munch on your leftovers. And if you have to, go online. You can do Black Friday shopping online. Yeah. And in the comfort of your own little brown bag at your house. Yeah. Just watching your little kids. Put put an address in your kid's pocket. See, Leanna, you did it again. Yeah. Great advice from Leanna Tan. And, uh, you know, it's just Black Friday, but let's make it White Friday. What does that even mean? I don't know. We will continue the journey next hour. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Cole and Terry. The gang is all here except Jeff. He's on the road traveling with his beautiful little family. Getting ready for Thanksgiving, and uh, this really, I guess, is the um, this is the show. This is our final show, uh, live show before the holidays. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's looking at me funny. What? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, anywho, what about tomorrow? Yeah, no, I'm off. Since when? Since it's on the calendar. No, it's not. <laughs> it's on my calendar. It's not on my calendar. Oh, you. We got a lot of people scheduled for tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a fun day. We'll see how uh, what Terry does to, to tomorrow uh, on that. Um, we got a lot to cover today, though, still. Dr. Paul Jenkins will be joining us talking about how to turn challenges into opportunities. That's never um, an easy thing, right? Uh, you can have any challenge in your day, in your life, but how do you actually make it good? How do you make it uh, something that you can, you know, be proud of? Live with, handle. Dr. Paul Jenkins, he really is a master of turning negative into positive. Uh, he's got some great insight on that. Plus, who needs it? I'm telling you, our, a lot of our headlines in D.C., they, we need some positivity to come out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The Justice Department has filed a lawsuit to block AT&T from its controversial $85 billion purchase of Time Warner. The Wall Street Journal reported Monday. President Trump has long been critical of the deal, saying he believes it would focus too much of the power in the media industry in one company. Justice Department's move could be complicated, though, because it will require convincing the courts that the deal would threaten competition. 
according to Bloomberg Politics. That could be tough because AT&T isn't buying a direct competitor. The merger would have paired AT&T wireless phone service with Time Warner's visual media, including networks like CNN, TNT, HBO, as well as Warner Brothers Film and Television Studios. Before the suit was officially filed, AT&T's general counsel said the move would be a radical and inexplicable departure from antitrust precedent. Really? So, see where that goes. They're going to go to court. Yeah, that sounds like a bad thing. Value voters are, as the name suggests, voters who say they make their election day choices primarily motivated by their moral values, a political calculus that would prioritize good moral character in candidates for office. In practice, however, a new data analysis from 538 shows the most important values for value voters are actual po- actually policies, and candidates who pledge to defend those positions can win value voters' support irrespective of their personal morality. Okay, let me get this straight. So yeah. value voters care more about a policy uh-huh. than their values. Well, it... It's it's the codified language of their group. When they talk yeah. about values, they're actually talking about policies, right. right? So that's when you get this sort of conflict of you get the politician that shows up with a shady background, right? stuff in their past that's a problem, but that's okay because when they're talking they're about values, they're not talking about that person's personal life. They're talking about the things they're going to vote for oh. and the policies they're going to okay, defend. Okay, so let me get this straight. So if you're pro, you can be pro-choice. Right. Um, and if you're pro-choice, that's fine with me, even if you abuse women. Apparently. Because you're pro-choice. Yeah. You'll vote for my... You're on the right side of the argument. Interesting. Yeah. You think that... You'd think that values voters would be based on their values, not necessarily just their positions. It's a means to an end. Hmm. Okay. Good to know. Is that a, is that a good way to go forward? I don't know. Seems seems like eventually it's going to let you down. Seems there's a conflict there. To be clear, value yeah. voters' view on these top policy topics are informed by their values, but when it comes to voting, those secondary positions rather than the values themselves. Okay. Dominate the decision. A 2015 poll of evangelicals, a group with considerable overlap with the value voters category, found their presidential vote was more determined by positions on key policies than by whether moral values were evident or absent in a candidate's own life. Interesting. That's not talking about any specific candidates. It was 2015. Oh. Oh. Way before anyone voted on anybody. Mm. Mm -hmm. So then just, I mean... It, it does seem like there's a conflict, but apparently in the value voter mind, there's no conflict because I'm voting on these specific issues, not on that person's personal life. Well, this seems a little bit different than maybe historically, right? Because there was always a divide between Republicans and Democrats where Republicans uh, were supposedly more principle focused, mm. but the Democrats were more uh, position or group focus. So LGBT, minority, every, you know, issue, very, very issue oriented. Right. But, okay, I guess that's kind of switching. That's changing. Apparently. Wow. And also, why is it so hard to find someone that has your values that also has your values? Yeah. True. It's a great question. Not sure. That nobody even understood, but it's a great, it really is a great question. So how do you know who's, who's got your value system? Yeah. Well, they, they vote like you, but not. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's strange. Um, this is going to create more independence. Yes. 
because people just get frustrated that you're not getting people that actually believe what they're saying. They're just saying what they need to say to get elected. And then the argument is always, well, yeah, but they're going to vote. They're going to the best thing that's come from the White House is this this political decision. Hmm. And they can name one, but they might feel like 15 things haven't come, you know, based on values. Uh, mm. eight, eight women told the Washington Post that longtime TV host Charlie Rose sexually harassed them. Those women, who ranged from 21 to 37 at the time of the alleged incident, said they had not previously come forward out of fear of being shut out of media jobs. CBS suspended Rose. PBS, which distributes his interview show, announced it would be suspending the program's pending an investigation. New York Times correspondent Glenn Thrush was accused of uh, making unwanted advances on young journalists in a report on Vox.com. He also has been suspended pending investigation. Uh-huh. Everybody's getting in trouble. And hopefully it's creating a real discussion, not just a lot of intrigue about who abused who. Well, there's several TV organizations who have uh, dedicated assets to looking into rumors on what's happening on Capitol Hill with other people who actually work there yeah. to see if it goes anywhere of, is there any more there to, to expose, I guess, to shed light on. Uh, some historical uh, this day in type situations, the episode that revealed who shot JR yes. 37 years ago. That was today. Uh, the, the, and- the official announcement? The the show aired that oh, revealed that whole yeah. thing that ticked off people, and I was too young to care. Um, and also, uh, the movie Rocky premiered 41 years ago today. Really? By the way, Rocky, another person accused of... Yeah. Uh, there you go. Interesting. That Rocky 1 aired today. Yeah. How many years? 41 years ago. Holy cow. Is what I was I reading. remember that vividly. And finally, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken known as KFC. Yeah. They've launched many gadgets in the past. Um, we've talked about many of them on the show, different things. They've had like uh, they've had like boxes where you put the food in and then you take it over to the table and then you take all the food out and then you can there's a little plug and you can plug your phone in and it turns into a speaker. Yeah. A greasy greasy speaker for your phone, just stuff like that. Yeah. Um, they have a new one called the Internet Escape Pod. It's a uh, a massive, they call it a Faraday cage. Do you know what a Faraday cage is? No, I don't. If you take a Faraday cage and you put your phone in it, no signals can get in, no signals can get out. Oh, okay, It just nice. shuts down your device. It's like... No signal. And so if you want to have like a private conversation, you need a big Faraday cage. You go in, shut the door, ah, nobody can yeah. listen, nobody can, no signals in, no signals out. It's like my out. granddaughter. Well, KFC... You hand her your phone and it just never works after. They have what's called the Internet Escape, Internet Escape Pod... Yeah. It features a drumstick-shaped door handle, of course, with a massive Colonel Sanders on top of it. Kind of wow. scary. The dome is constructed out of steel and stainless steel mesh, a high-density foam, and enamel paint. It weighs about eight pounds. Only one model exists, however, so if you want it, it costs $10,000. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. It says, so how badly do you need to escape from the Internet? You could just put your phone in a box under your bed and walk away. Or you could buy a ten thousand dollar KFC branded tent with a chicken leg for a handle. Either way, you want to do it. How much There's... for the one that's not KFC? Um, I don't know. You, you have to look up your own. There's uh, doomsday prepper websites that probably have a nice Faraday cage you could live in. Yeah. But uh, this one is branded for KFC, so I just thought well, I'd know, share there's that. There's another uh... Christmas gifts. Mm-hmm. Everyone looking for the the perfect gift. Maybe somebody needs a internet escape pod. Well. 
Or just turn off your internet. Yeah, I mean, that a deal? back in the day, we used to have this thing. Uh, it wasn't called a Faraday, Faraday cage. It was right. called, um, like, discipline. Ah. And we used Whoa. to just use it. Man. What you'd do is, like, you'd muster up some discipline. Okay. And then you would just turn stuff off. Like, you'd actually, Jeez. like, take a temptation. Yeah. And you'd just turn it off. I don't know if that's the best approach. But can you give that to someone for Christmas? You can give no. a Faraday pod to someone. Yeah, but what for you, Christmas. Yeah, but but what that person would do is they would just kind of muster up their own uh, mm. discipline. Sounds hard. And then they then what's neat about that is it's free, and they could just use their own discipline forever. Oh, so it's kind of one of those things that once you've got it, you could actually keep using it. It's 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 reusable. Reusable discipline. Uh huh. Wow. And then but, tomorrow you just do it again. I don't know if that's the best approach in, in our times. Maybe back in the olden times yeah. when uh, you know times were simpler, things were a little slower. Phones had cords. Yeah. You couldn't even get into a pod with your phone because once you closed the door, they would jam the cord. And People probably couldn't process yeah. information like we do today. Well, we're more. I think. I think as a society, a society we're probably more advanced. Yeah. And so nowadays we need more of like this big tent that can block cell phone signals rather than maybe some sort of will to turn off the phone. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, it's it's kind of like back then we used to think we yeah had like control mm. over ourselves. Okay, more. And now it's kind of more like you want something outside of you to use yeah. to block every signal that could possibly right. hit you. Why should we make the decision when yeah. something else can take that from us? Mm-hmm. That's really the answer we're looking for. Right. Well, part of it is because you kind of want to – you kind of want to – you always want to have your own agency Do instead you? of like outsourcing it to, to someone else. <sighs> That's just how we used to think. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's weird. But maybe discipline – you know, maybe that would be a really great idea for people to think about for Christmas. Okay. Get some discipline for Christmas. Yeah, don't does get someone, anybody just a more out of discipline. Is someone just, selling discipline at a, a good price? Well, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes you have to kind of demand it. Does it come with different options? Some add-on well, yeah, features? Yeah, there's amazing options when you exercise discipline. Are there apps with mm-hmm. like in-app purchases for more discipline? More peace, more sense of worth, Ugh. more growth, more development, more... Just intrinsic, incredible happiness. It sounds like it could lead into emotions. Yeah. 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 See, there, there's the part where they don't tell you where they get you. Yeah. You already have the product. You're testing it out Christmas morning, and then you find out it's all full of emotions. And you're like, oh. Yeah. It's emotions. What do they do? They, don't, they need to put that on the box. Well, a lot, a lot of people um, like emotions. Really? Like, because it's kind of what they feel like makes life worth living. Mm. Love, joy, happiness. Peace. Uh, well, darn emotions. I mean, to each his own, I guess. Mm. Yep. So, wow. Right, so you can get the Faraday thing. Yeah. Or you can great. just grow yourself some self-discipline. Nah. Why? Why take the initiative? Mm. Well, why not let someone market a useless product to you? <laughs> that's the deal. Yeah. Brought to you by KFC. Brought by KFC. By the way, does discipline no, come branded granted, with KFC? Granted, KFC, KFC does this because it's a joke. Well, yeah. that's why there's one made. <laughs> there's only one, but it's very, very valuable. Um, okay, wow, interesting stuff. Yeah, who to thunk? 
Who would have thunk? I think discipline might be a little too rich for my blood. Yeah. Hey, um, speaking of blood, what do you do? Uh, what do you do when you um, when you find a heifer in your swimming pool? Well, let's I, ask Cole. Yeah, what would you do? You find a cow in your swimming pool. What do you do? Find a new swimming pool. Okay. You move. It's exactly mm-hmm. what you do. An 800-pound heifer made a big splash when it was found in a North Carolina family swimming pool in Catawba County, uh, in Catawba County, in North Carolina. The chief animal control officer Jenna Arsenault told the news outlets that uh, they had received a 911 call Wednesday morning and arrived to find a young female bovine defiantly staring from the pool in Newton. The pool's owner, Bert Thornburg, says he looked out the door and thought something fell into the pool. He says he started uh, ripping uh, the cover and uncovered the cow. Hmm. Oh, that's got to make you mad. He ruined your cover. So now there's a cow Those in things there. aren't cheap. No. Yeah. That what? The, the, the cow co- or the cover? Well, uh, both. But yeah. the cover's ruined. I think the cow's okay, right? I don't know. Authorities say the team managed to lasso the horns and pull the cow from the pool. The cow was believed to be in the pool for two hours or more. They Wait, they pulled the cow from the pool? Yeah. This yeah. is an underground swimming pool. Yeah. It's down, you know, in, yeah. in the four-foot so deep water. they probably pulled it up. They probably, you know, maybe walked it up ladder? the stairs. Yeah. Have you, have you ever seen a cow climb a pool ladder? I haven't. Yeah. Super cute. I assume you have. Super cute. Yeah. They have a little hard time because with their hoofs, like, grabbing onto the ladder, so they just kind of wrap their little hoofs around the ladder. Oh, that is so... Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I love it when they get out, though. There's nothing cuter than, like, a bovine that just shakes off all that water. So cute. Mm. Uh, the cow was believed to be in the pool for two hours or more. Authorities believe the cow was grazing and walked across the pool cover, thinking that it was solid. Yes. Surprise! It's kind of like when you walk out on thin ice, you yeah, know, yeah. and you think it's okay, mm-hmm. and then you just fall through. And Do you think, like, the cow, though, for a minute was thinking, whoa, this ground is soft. Soft or ground. Or that it's not soft covered ground. with grass that it was trying yeah. to eat. Where's the grass? Hmm. And in the lake it goes, or in the water it goes. Uh, by the way, uh, wouldn't you be mad if that wasn't your cow? I'd be ticked. What do you do? I'm, you know, time to make hamburgers. Mm. Not to be rude, but by the way, the cow was very clean. Yes. Just got out of the pool. Oh, it's tough, folks. It's tough being a cow in North Carolina. It's just not right. Anyway, uh, fun stuff. And, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot we got to cover, a lot straight ahead. Dr. Paul Jenkins will be joining us. We're going to talk about how to turn your challenges into opportunities When a cow presents itself to your swimming pool, hey, don't think of this as, you know, a lot of money to replace the pool cover. No, it might be a new friend, a heifer, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Joined by Dr. Paul Jenkins, who is a clinical psychologist, got his degree here from BYU back in the day. That's true. And uh, been practicing for, what, 60, 70 years? Oh, I just keep practicing. You look great. <laughs> you really do. You can go to his website, drpauljenkins.com, drpauljenkins.com. But he does his own uh, podcast, Live on Purpose podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at Dr. Paul Jenkins. He's the shrink who expands your life. And now YouTube. You're on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, that's Live the, on Purpose TV. That's a big deal. That's your, What you're doing now is 
laying down uh, really great lessons every day, pretty much. Every day. You, well, five days a week. You may live uh, to regret that. It's true. You know, as soon as you put yourself out there, people tend to show up with their opinions. Yeah. And only some of them are positive. <laughs> I know. That's why you, the key is you just can't – you can't – it's hard because you can't read all of them mm-hmm. or you, you, you might get – you might think negatively about yourself. But you're the king of positivity. Uh. Well, and we're talking today about challenges, right? Right. Turn challenges into opportunities. You got to, right? You heard about the cow that walked into the cow in the swimming pool. That's maddening. Who knew? Right. Uh, But what a great story. It is a great story. Well, Matt, you're a speaker. Yeah. I've heard you present many times. Yeah. If you had that story and you owned it, oh, uh, your speaker fees go up. Turn it into magic. Yeah. It's awesome. And, or you could just borrow it. Right. Like legally, morally, use the story and then embellish and, it. And tie it into your principle. That's right. Um, right. But it's harder when the when the challenge is something you didn't ask for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it could be anything. It could be a business challenge. Somebody, you know, hurts your business. It could be yes. a, a marriage problem. Your partner cheats on you. It could be. A cancer diagnosis. It could be anything. A car accident, a death. A, stuff happens. Yeah. Have you noticed? I've noticed. Stuff happens. Yeah. And, and you're right. The biggest challenges tend to be those that we're not anticipating, we didn't ask for, we didn't want, and they just show up for us. Mm. So what do we do with that stuff? Yeah. You mentioned my podcast. I do interviews with these people. And by these people, I mean people who have challenges, yeah, right? with these humans. Which gives me a huge pool of people to choose from. Right. And um, I have noticed this, Matt, I, in collecting inspiring stories, there is always, always a hard part in the middle. Oh, really? There's In the middle of the story, there's, there's a hard so, part. So there's bliss, there's pain. Bliss. And then there's some kind of recovery. It's yeah. the classic hero story. Think about the movies that you go to. Yeah. There's always a hard part. If there's not a hard part, it doesn't have the right or the power to inspire me. That's true, huh? Well, it's no, and, absolutely true. And you said it doesn't have the right or the power to inspire you. So right. having to dig deep into the ugly is what gives you power and authority. Yes. With others. How inspiring is it to you, Matt, when you hear a story about someone who had no challenges? Yeah. A really rich kid that then made it to the NBA and then became the best athlete of all time. And then the rich kid never had issues. Yeah. Snore. Yeah. Not exciting. and, And it does not inspire you. It doesn't teach you anything. It's not useful to you in your life. But then you hear a story of a person. I had one on my call this morning. I do a, a, a regular Zoom course where I have people just sign in on their computers because that expands the office. Yeah, right. Yeah, now bit. you don't have to. And, and one of uh, the participants on my call this morning was sharing how he was almost 400 pounds. And he just – he kind of just said that. Yeah. As a matter of fact sort of a thing. And that how he uh, was inspired to uh, become accountable and to start to start taking control of his life again. Yeah. And he lost two pounds a week, and he's down to like two twenty. Wow. And he just kind of rattled it off like, "Well, just this is out what there. my story was." And I said, "Whoa, whoa, hang on, <laughs> back up the cart yeah. here for just a minute, because that gets my attention." 
Yeah. Here's a guy who has has real life experience with some serious challenges. And now what's he going to do with that? Well, he just thinks, well, of course I, you know, took control of my life and lost the weight and I have to renew my wardrobe every week now. Of course I did that. Of course I did that. And and I'm listening and thinking, wait, hold on. That is powerful. Yeah. That totally. is amazing. And he's he's seeing now though how he can turn some of the challenges he's had into opportunities to serve other people. Because guess what? Even though it seems so personal. Yeah. Really, I haven't encountered any challenges with any of my clients. Now, I've been a shrink for 23 years. Yeah. You ask me how long I've been practicing. That's amazing. Uh, and it's hard to shock me. You know, I've heard some of the darndest crap yeah. you can imagine. But I have never encountered anything that is a truly unique experience. I don't think I've heard specifically the cow in the swimming pool. Mm-mm. Till this morning. But you know what? If somebody comes to my office now and says, oh, yeah, a cow fell in my swimming pool, I'm like, oh, yeah, heard that. Yeah, been there, done that. I, I mean, there might be some specific details that are different. Right. But what's your equivalent of a cow fell in your swimming pool? Right. You know, just something you never would have thought would have happened. But here it is. So it creates, first of all, a story. And stories sell. That's right. Okay, just contemplate that for a minute. When I do sales trainings, facts tell, stories sell. Yeah, yeah. That's what connects with people on a real level. So at the very least, you've got a great story. So what are you going to do with the story? That's the key, huh? Because you may yeah. you may want to wallow in the story or you may want to leverage the story. Yeah, pick one of those. Yeah, but if you're going to wallow, you get what? Pain. Or you get pleasure, leverage, you whatever. You said the wallowing, and I get these images of pigs rolling yeah. around in the slop. Just in the mud, right? huh? And, and I grew up in an agricultural town, and I'm familiar with the concept of fertilizer, you know, and the various words that we use to describe it. Yeah. And it happens, right? I mean, there's, there's piles of crap everywhere, and what are we going to do with it? Are we going to roll around in it and get stinky? Yeah, no. Or are we going to use that to cultivate... And fertilize something beautiful. You got to. Right? And, and I guess that – so then we need to figure out how to do that because people tell us um, that we are supposed to do that. But we a lot of us don't know how to do it. Like how do I take something like a car accident that maybe now leaves me with chronic pain and do something with that? Well, take the car accident for a minute. The, the, the two examples that pop into my head immediately are Artberg. Mm-hmm. Who has passed away? Did you know? Yeah, Art? the the speaker Artberg, yeah. very very powerful, influential speaker, and someone that he mentored, Chad Hymas, yeah, who is still a member of our speakers association right. here in the Mountain West, and probably one of the most demanded speakers in the world. Yeah, you look at his calendar; it's nuts. Chad was in an accident that left him quadriplegic. You know, forget about chronic pain for a minute. Right. How about paralysis? Yeah. Of all four limbs. Okay. That's pretty heavy. And Chad tells about how he used to dream that he would become a guide. And he thought that that meant taking people hunting and fishing. Yeah, interesting. But as it turns out, he's a very different kind of a guide. As he sold millions of his books. I don't know how many books yeah. he's sold. But he speaks on stages all over the world and, and inspires people. He saves lives, Matt. Yeah. And, and it's not despite his 
paralysis. In in a very big and real way, it is because of mm. his paralysis that has put him in position. So this challenge very literally became an opportunity. This is not trite, fluffy stuff. This is potentially career-changing, life-changing, life-saving. Yeah. And don't you think people even know that, right? Because they've they've kind of experienced the pain of it. They know what it feels like to just kind of be stuck in it. But then it mm-hmm. seems like everybody kind of makes a choice at some point to just do something different with it. Right. Like they need to because I can't be stuck anymore. And that's the key right there. It is a choice. But the thing is until you see it as a choice, it's not. Yeah. And we stay trapped in our own mind. I remember a, uh, one of my clients who came to see me. Um, this was years ago. He drove clear up from St. George. He had heard me speak and wanted to come and visit with me. And he sat – he plopped down in the chair over there and uh, he, he, he was like, I just don't know how to tell you. I said, what do you, what do you want to tell me? He said, I'm gay. And I'm like, OK, so what did you want to talk to me yeah. about? OK. <laughs> he was like, so? Yeah. I, it's like I don't know any gay people. Yeah. Right? And, but he was so trapped in this, why me? Why this? Why now? Why, I'm a, you know, why yeah. do I have to have right. the, He called it a curse at the time. Really? And I said, you know what? Why not you? And he looked at me first kind of like, shut up. You're rude. Right? <laughs> You're a jerk. I said, no, seriously, think about it. Think about the resources you have. Think about the support that you have. Think about this amazing story that you have already crossed many of the hurdles that other people are getting stuck behind, that they're taking their own lives because of. Mm. Do you realize the power of your position? He's like, you want me to write a book, don't you? I said, well, I didn't say that, but I'll write you an endorsement. And I've got an endorsement on the back of his book Do now. you really? How great. It's called Why Me? He used that as the title of his book. This That's is great. Bill Seeger. Yeah. Go look him up. He's on Amazon. He shared his story. His challenge became an opportunity hmm. to to write and distribute a book that I know is saving lives. I can give you names, but they're confidential. Yeah. I know that Bill's book has saved some lives. Isn't that amazing? Which is so cool, but he had to get out of his own way first. Yeah, and the so why me to why not. That's why a great, not me? That's a great segue, right, for it. Like, Isn't why not? it just as legitimate a question? Totally. Honestly. Yeah. But when we're in, I call it victim mode. When we're in victim mode, yeah. it doesn't even occur to us to ask why me because we're still so stuck in the why me. So true. Become, you know Mike Schlappy. Yeah, yeah. I love Mike. Uh, By the way, had... Mike was my first guest on this show. Oh, was he? And so those that don't know him, he was shot. Shot? His book is— By his friend. Yeah. Shot happens. Shot happens. And uh-huh. he actually then had to clarify what that means, yeah. and he swore on my show. He was the first person to swear, to cuss. Oh, man. On my show. Well, Mike's And we're on a edgy, station right? that doesn't— you don't cuss on this I, station. It's BYU. I got my PhD here. So he's my first guest. And by the way, he hasn't been on since. And um, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. No, I think he's been on again. But um, yeah, Mike Slappy, also in a wheelchair because of he was paralyzed by his friend in high school. Yeah, Amazing. right. Shot in the chest. Unbelievable story. And he, so I mentioned Mike because he gave me this term. He says, he says we're whining. We're why oh, babies. that's interesting. Right? Um, yeah. When when we say the why me, and really, what answer is going to satisfy you? No. 
you know? Oh, because because you're an idiot or because you suck or because what answer to the why me is going to satisfy you? Yeah. Oh, you were selected from a pool of <laughs> other unfortunate folks to have No. No. So you switch over, you ask a different question. It's just as legitimate. Why not me? And that opens up a whole new part of your brain that you're not accessing while you're stuck in whining. So good. So, so when you get into that other part of your brain, mm-hmm. um, if, if it's not why not me, uh, then how do I start turning it to kind of the opportunity? How do I once, – once my brain starts to allow that mm-hmm. to be a concept, do I, do I just go find my purpose or do I create it? I think asking that question totally puts you in a different position. It doesn't solve anything. No. But yeah. what it does is it puts you in position to solve anything. Because as, as long as you're in the why me and I can't kind of mentality, yeah. think about it. What's the next step after I can't? Yeah, I'm done. There isn't one. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> Fetal position in the corner maybe? Right. I can opens up another question and that is how can I? Huh. What can I? What what use does this have? And it's a good question. Usually it's a statement disguised as a question. Hmm. Think about it. Well, what can I do with this? Right. Hear the exclamation point? Yeah. See, it's not a question. No. So we've got to watch our punctuation. Turn that thing back into a question. What can I do with this? That's a pretty darn good question. Totally. Yeah. And then we go to one of my uh, coaches that I'm I'm mentoring. Uh, pointed out, she said, you know what? To a third grader, a sixth grader is an expert. Oh, yeah. I thought that is so true. It's so true. Because wherever you are in this particular challenge, just take whatever your challenge is, you know, and you take a look at it. You're at some point in your acceptance, your development, your uh, processing of this experience. Now, sometimes we're in the throes of it. Yeah. I had a neighbor who passed away this weekend. Mm. And that family is in the throes of they're having a funeral today, you know, and and in just in the middle of it. And when you're in the middle of it, don't expect yourself to feel anything other than what you're feeling. Right. Just just allow it How to you be supposed huh? to feel. Yeah, yeah. Feel it. Roll with it. And at some point you get to ask yourself, OK, now what? What am I going to do with this? Right. Not necessarily about it because you can't always do something about it. No. But maybe you can do something with it. And that's where you get to take it and say, okay, so I'm a sixth grader now. There's some third graders out there who could probably use the knowledge that I have gained having already covered those first three grades. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's true. So there's always someone that you can serve. That's and, cool. But and, our and that'll elevate to, you, right? Just serving yeah. others will, will make you dig deeper in yourself. And we, we get into a thinking error a lot of times when we compare ourselves instead to those who are in the 12th grade, mm-hmm. you know. And there's always someone ahead of you, but there's always someone behind you. Who are you going to serve? Yeah, you got to know, huh? So it's this idea of reaching down to those who are at a, a lower level. You know, if you picture, I'm thinking of, of Gary Lee Price's depiction of of the Statue of Responsibility. Yeah, yeah. If you're familiar yeah, with that. Yeah. And it's two hands that are clasping, one from above, one from below. And sometimes we're the upper hand and sometimes we're the lower hand. Either way, we need help and we can offer help. So that's how our our challenges are, not just can become. Our challenges are 
opportunities to serve those who are in a lower grade. Oh, yeah. And I guess the getting out of yourself, getting out of the, the, the why, why, why whiner story. Whiner, why babies. Um, then, then when you – then and looking to the bigger picture, finding where you fit into the bigger picture mm-hmm. and then reaching back, that changes you. Yeah. Over well, time. Well, it gives you some purpose too. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and if there's no purpose for this challenge, then it is simply a waste and a pain. <laughs> it's true. It's true. yeah, you're just here to what? Do time. You know what? And if it feels like a waste and a pain, then maybe it's time to look at that question and just see am I am I a whiner? Yeah. Am I being a why baby here? Do do I need to take a look at asking the question instead of a statement disguised as a question? What value does this have? And it's not about you. That's good. Because it doesn't feel valuable to you. But what value does it have to others? And the beautiful compensation there is that as we assist others, it puts us in a position that is more favorable. Mm. And that's true economically, too. It will, yeah, you'll, because you'll maximize all of your resources. Right. All of your abilities. Is, I mean, I guess can some point, um, can you be so positive, well, or so, uh, you know, opportunistic about an experience that you don't actually deal with it effectively? Because I can see some people that are very quick to not want to feel the pain, like you were saying, just kind of sitting in it and being in it. And they really quickly want to pull themselves out of it and get right. onto the. Well, because the pain is not pleasant yeah. by definition. Yeah. So should you, should you want, I mean, how do you know how to do so productively? How do you know when you're ready to really, because if you do it too fast, you lose the depth that the pain mm-hmm. offers. If you do it too slow, you won't have any momentum. <laughs> right. So you're kind of – you'll be dead either way. You know, this gets back to something that we talked about just a few minutes ago, and that is that we get to experience whatever it is that we're experiencing. Yeah. If you skip the pain, you will rob yourself of, of the opportunities that are present in this challenge. Mm. And you won't be believable to others. Yeah, right. You won't have the depth. Right. So let yourself feel whatever you're going to feel. And and let it just – you don't have to make it into anything more. No. Just feel the pain. Well, and I have a colleague who made his whole career off of two words. Feelings change. <laughs> true. And that is absolutely true. Note every feeling that you've had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Changes. Constantly. And they can be intense. And in the moment, it doesn't feel like you're ever going to feel anything else. Yeah. But just just observe it. Feel it. Be with that feeling. Own it. That's cool. You're a human being. How are you supposed to feel? That's right. Dr. Paul Jenkins. You did it again. Dr. Paul Jenkins, you, by the way, go to his website, uh, drpauljenkins.com, and you can find his book, uh, Pathological Positivity. Which is now available on Audible as well. Is it? You laid it down on as Audible. As of yesterday. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Read by the author. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is a lot of work. Well, Paul, yeah. thanks. Well, good to have you back. Thank you, man. He's the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Paul Jenkins. Go check out his website, drpauljenkins.com, and we will continue the journey uh, changing challenges into opportunities with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. See how they're going to handle BYU Sports, a challenge to an opportunity. Straight ahead.
It's time, folks, to uh, send it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Jerem and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Good Hello, morning. doctor. Hello. How are you both? Good. Ball night. Baller. It's a ball night or a ball afternoon? It's, it's both. It's Yeah. Oh, the, the guys playing tonight. Oh, the, yeah, the guys are playing. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is a purple eagle? A purple eagle is an eagle that has been dyed purple, which is completely natural. <laughs> is that what Niagara is? The purple yeah. eagles? Yeah. Like, I don't oh, understand. Wow, I why know. Why do they have to be the purple eagles? Why yeah. not just the eagles? The eagles. And it seems like uh, because it is a national treasure, the, the gold eagle, to dye one purple would be actually, I don't know, a misdemeanor at least. At yeah. minimum. Yeah. At minimum. Especially in the U.S. <laughs> why wouldn't you just be the falls or something? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you Ooh. just play off yeah. the brand that's already built it? Thunder Falls. <laughs> the fighting falls. The barrels. The, the, yeah. barrel, the barrel, yeah. Rollers. Yeah. barrel rollers. That's right, yeah. <laughs> the Niagara barrel rollers. I'm <laughs> telling you, there's something that, I don't know. I don't know if I trust a purple eagle. Have, you, have either of you ever been to Niagara Falls, by the way? I have. No, I haven't. I have not. It's I fantastic. Not. I, uh, the closest I've been was uh, in Superman 2 mm. uh, when he and Lois got married at Niagara Falls. That's Hold the it. closest you've been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, you, wow. you know that that doesn't actually take you any closer. You haven't what? been on the Maid of the Mist? <laughs> yeah, you haven't been on that boat? I have not. It's I've cool, not. man. Niagara Falls is legit. It's, it's t- totally it, worth the it. The American side or the Canadian side? Both. If you had to go over one side, which side would you want to go over on? The Probably the Ivory Coasts. I'm a proud American. Wow. I'm going over the American side. Oh, wow. I am going to the Canadian side. <laughs> Okay, here's great. another here's another question, but not to make anybody mad, but uh, there was football last night, Monday night football, and um, apparently the Seahawks can't kick a 52-yard field goal. They could kick well, a 50-yard field I goal. Mean, it was perfectly are you accurate. Up to hurt me? I'm a Seahawks fan. I know you are. That's why I'm bringing it up. Well, the real issue was right before the half, the Seahawks fake a field goal instead of taking three points, which would have put them in a different situation later in the game. Uh, the Seahawks uh, are in trouble. They have no run game. Rich Sherman's out for the year with an Achilles. Cam Chancellor's out for a while. Yeah. It's not good. Russell Wilson is accounting for 85% of the total offense. That is not going to last. Here's where you're wrong, though, Matt. Uh, what? They what? can kick it. They yeah. just can't make it. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, just, Walsh. I'm just excited that, you know, Misery loves company and my Chiefs are, uh, are, are horrible. Six and four. Yeah, but we've lost three, we've lost four or five. So yeah, uh, I was yeah, expecting the Chiefs to do better. You peaked I early. I know. Well, what are you going to do? I warned you, you against this. What we are you going to do when you have a when you have a uh, Ute quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! That's that that's some <laughs> good mind words. right there. I mean, yeah, and what he brought it do? up on BYU television. Um, hey, talk about uh, two games today. Um, both, I guess, playing purple eaglets. Well, one is playing the Wolverines. Oh, okay. Utah Valley. Women's Utah Valley. Yeah. Spencer's not here because he's at the Merritt Center. He's getting ready. Sure. call that game. We'll talk to him during the show. And Excellent. then tonight is the men's basketball game against the aforementioned Purple Eagles of Niagara. What yeah. would you think, Matt, if yeah. there were thousands of elementary school kids in I your you? studio oh. to cheer you on while you were doing your show? I would think it's the coolest thing in the world. I would, need, I would know that I've made it. The you, largest primary in Utah Valley. Will you need gather to go the over Center. to the Marriott Center and experience what a kid's day is. It is one of the coolest, really? and energetic environments you will ever be a part of, I promise you. 
Do they it have? Awesome. When they start playing SpongeBob and Justin Bieber, it is over. I mean, like the whole <laughs> group sing. It is great, and I'm not. I am being 100 percent serious here. You, it is awesome. Now, I thought you didn't like kids, Jason. Uh, what? I got the memo that you really don't like kids. That they they're that you. Well, I mean, kids I, besides his own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean yours, you know. of course. You love your children, but I thought you were anti-child. Okay, <laughs> that's just the memo I got. I don't well, know. I, I didn't realize we were writing memos. Yeah, about BYU that Sports mm-hmm. Nation <laughs> released that yesterday. No, that's cool. That actually is a really good testimonial of what BYU is doing. So it's the UVU, the two two women's basketball teams in the same valley come together for a battle royale, and then they bring in thousands of kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow, Max Headroom all of a sudden. Holy cow. Just say it once if you don't mind. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Also, uh, we want to mention, did, did you see that video of the Marta bus with the Georgia Dome? No. Oh, yeah, oh. blocking the camera. Yeah, that's pretty funny. The bus gets in front of this shot of the Georgia Dome imploding. Come on, bus! And, yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's just say the Marta bus may make an appearance on the show today. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to know what it's going to block. We're going to have some fun with that. What's yeah, it going to block? What's it going to block? That's pretty cool. I mean, by the way, do you think that bus driver knew... No way. Come on, he knew. How He's, was that you guy know not on every well, morning show in the country today? You totally. know what he did? I bet he stopped to look himself. Yeah. But he didn't think, I'm going to be in the view of someone else. No, he thought he was making it for all of his well, riders. he's in a Marta bus. He, does, he makes yeah. his own rules. Right? Why yeah. is the guy not up with all the other people shooting it? Well, because he, he drives Marta bus. No, I'm talking about the, the, the guy the, from the Weather Channel. Oh. Like, why was he not across the street where like everybody yeah, else? That's a good point. Rookie. Good point. Rookie mistake. Rookie move. Don't know where to stand when they're toppling down the Georgia Dome. That's embarrassing. <laughs> hey, uh, what's on your show today? Today's a compelling and rich ball night edition, as you mentioned. <laughs> yes. We will discuss, among other things, the uh, men's basketball game against Niagara and women's basketball game with Spencer. Cool. A new Between the Lines with Lauren McLean about uh, a Thanksgiving feast where they play Pictionary and Charades. They're wow. Picture aids. Oh. That's probably not going to get patented later, I'll be honest. Yeah. Trademarked. Trademarked or copywritten. Yeah, it's probably done. But more importantly. Yes. We're going to ask the eternal question. Yeah. Eternal, huh? The eternal question. What does it all mean? And by that I mean this game for BYU football at Hawaii. What does it mean? They're three and nine or whatever. What are they three and? Are they three and nine? I've lost track. Three and nine. Three and nine. What does this game mean? Does it mean anything? It means a vacation for the BYU football team. Uh, they can't say that out loud. Okay, I just and did. they said yesterday that is that is definitely not okay. what they're going to do. Good, good, so good. On Friday? No, they're leaving on Wednesday. They're leaving tomorrow. Who? Oh, what? They're leaving tomorrow. And then, but they're going to come right home right after the game. Actually, they will do I, that. Yeah. Okay. But they'll they'll get some time on the beach. Yeah. Huh? Maybe they ought to make them run the beach. <laughs> Like the they Navy should Seals. have them recreate the scene from Rocky Three, where Apollo and Rocky <laughs> ran yes. the beach together. Yes. Oh, yes. that would be that would be dramatic, and great I think idea. that would make great Finally. video. <laughs> great idea. See, that's Jason, ever the producer, producing in his mind right there. That's you can brilliant. listen to Jason today, by the way, on BYU Radio later tonight, 80, yeah. 8 Eastern time on the pregame show. Really? But but from I the pre- Cougars and Purple Eagles. So yeah, we have conflicting things here. Because what? I produced a show that's airing on BYU TV at the same time. <gasps> well, so choose ye this day where you want to go. BYU Radio on BYU TV at 8. Wow. That's a throwdown right there. You can listen to Jason or you can watch the show I produced. Okay, guys. I'm going to go watch both. I got to let you go. You got to go get ready both. for the next show you're doing. Yes, I'm going to do. tape True, one. Yeah, let us go. Let go. Get going, guys.
Wow, that's a that is a throwdown. Any quoted scripture? Yeah, I don't think I would have quoted that scripture. Choose you this day. Hey, um, uh, great great stuff, folks. Remember, uh, apparently, I, I will be back tomorrow. This just in. I'm I'm coming back. So we've got a whole one more day of joy with each other. I'm going to hand walk you to the Thanksgiving turkey feast if it's the last thing I do. Now let's get to our hero story as we like to end uh, with always an uplifting story. The hero today is Harrison Ford. Listen to this. He steps out in to help a woman whose car ran off the road. Star Wars icon Harrison Ford became a real hero yet again on Sunday. When he stepped out to help a woman whose car ran off the road in California, fire officials in Santa Paula, California, north of Los Angeles, confirmed to ABC News that on Sunday afternoon, Ford helped a woman who was involved in a single vehicle crash after her car veered off the side of the road um, into an embankment. Senior Officer Matt Alonzo of the police department said that the actor was in the area with a friend when they heard the vehicle crash and he headed over to assist. He acted as a good Samaritan, just like everybody else, and tried to help uh, before emergency services. Services arrived, he said. Uh, Ford and others were able to help the female driver out of the vehicle. The woman driving, who was the only occupant in the sedan, escaped with minor injuries, according to the police there. The CHIPS uh, spokesperson said Ford checked on the woman's welfare, and then he took off. Anyway, just part of the normal deal, right? But again, Harrison Ford, in on it again. And sometimes that does take some bravery, right? To run out near a freeway and uh, get out of your car. It's scary stuff sometimes. But that's what makes a hero. Thanks for being with us again. We can't do the show without you. Our goal is to help you get the skills, the tools, the leg you need up in life to get through this incredibly uh, difficult at times life and to do it one with another. We'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next.